The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 312, presented by Rageworks, broadcasting live Wednesday, September 9th, 2015. I'm your host, Rich, and our caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, that caller number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. We air twice a week, Wednesdays, uh, MMA and Wrestling, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Thursdays, Gaming and Entertainment, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Archived episodes of the shows can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio for audio. Video archives can be found on our two YouTube channels, Official, Rageworks, and My Take Radio TV. All right, so if you're... Tuning in as a first-timer, a couple of things you should know. You can listen to the show by heading to mtrlive.com, and you can hear high-quality audio via Mixler, our video stream. You can watch there as well. Plus, we have a full chat, which you can participate throughout the evening. In addition to that, you can also use our call-in number, not use option one, and you'll be able to listen to the show that way. And if you want to participate, all you have to do is hit option one, Let Slick know who you are, and we'll bring you on board. As always, we encourage audience participation both on air and in the chat room, so feel free to share your thoughts. I try to acknowledge everyone as best as possible. So, a couple of things I got to get out of the way first. Obviously, we're coming off the Labor Day holiday. Uh, Slick, can you do me a favor and just um, come on the line one second? I just want to check to see if... um, the brand new mixer that I got is actually working. So give me a thumbs up when you're ready. All right. Uh, let me see. Yo. There you go. Can you hear me clearly? I can hear you fine. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Loud and clear. All right. Just wanted to check everything, obviously. All right, man. New hardware. Thank you very much. All right, so a couple of things. First thing I noticed is I did not share that we are live. 
So I'm doing that. But in addition to that, during the Labor Day weekend, we made a couple of improvements, if you will. We got some new hardware. Uh, we got a brand new mixer, a uh, Behringer 1622, uh, replacing my Mackie Pro FX 12. For those of you that don't know what the hell I'm talking about, uh, I'll give you the short version. Uh, the mixer that I've been using that's been my workhorse for the show for as long as I can remember is it's weird because it's it's like sometimes you're listening to the show and um you don't hear it the listeners but i hear it there's like a crackle in the line and i searched and i searched and i searched and i searched during the time that we were off air to find out where the crackle was so turns out that i took out every wire i redid every connection twice and nothing is more irritating than not being able to find what the issue is. If you guys deal with any sort of audio or any sort of, of wiring, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a slight short or something, and you just can't diagnose it. It was driving me insane. So took a trip to Guitar Center and picked up this Behringer. Uh, so far, so good. Definitely a lot more sensitive than the other mixer and um the fact is if you guys hear my ac or my fan by all means please let me know only because like i said this mixer and the mic are a lot more sensitive now i'm still trying to get all the adjustments so by all means feel free to share your input with regards to that uh some other housekeeping news to get out of the way uh, first and foremost brand new episodes of black is the new black uh, the regular season sports cast and the season finale of the Buried Show. I know a lot of you guys were asking me about the Buried Show. Reached out to Quark and Blade. They got a new show ready for consumption. I just got to upload it for you guys to check it out. So you guys are going to get two episodes of My Take Radio, uh, TRSS, regular season sports cast, uh, Black is the New Black, and a Buried Show this week. So lots of audio content for you guys to consume. Video-wise, we got a couple of things that we're going to be posting on our channel. But the most important, this. This is the Guardians of the Galaxy box set that I want to give one of you guys. I don't care if you follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, on the site, whatever the case may be. One of you will win this. And as I said... Try and open it this way so you guys can see it. There it is. Full Marvel Legends box set, Guardians of the Galaxy. You get all five figures, plus a little Groot and all the weapons. And um, I want to give this away to one of you guys. And we launched the contest last week, right before we went on break. And the rules are simple for those of you that did not read the post or that have sent me messages making sure that their entries are in, let's let's give you guys the refresher. You have four chances to enter. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and, of course, directly on the site. And um, all you got to do, very, very easy, is share your favorite moment from the Guardians of the Galaxy film and use the hashtag that we set up, uh, Give the Guardians a Home, all of that is available on RageWorks.net. You can see the entries there. Again, four chances to enter. 
Meaning, if you're following us on Instagram and you see the Instagram post with the with the figures, you can enter that way. You can enter via Twitter. You can enter via Facebook, of course. And last but not least, via the comments section right in the article. Nothing crazy. It's 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 not too difficult, but it's not too easy either. We're gonna run this contest all the way through um, September twenty third. And we're going to end it September 23rd at 11.59 p.m. And we will announce the winner live on the September 24th edition of My Take Radio. So during the gaming and entertainment edition uh, that week, we will announce the winner. Of course, winner has to forward me his address within a minimum of 48 hours so we could send it out. Again, I want to give this away to you guys. We're working in, you know, in partnership as always with our friends at Entertainment Earth. I'm making it easy enough for you guys to enter and easy enough for you guys to win. So for those of you that have sent me messages asking, hey, if I like the picture or if I share, is that an entry? No. No, it is not an entry. Again, share your favorite moment from the film and use the hashtag that we set up. If you're confused or you want to see it for yourself, head over to our Facebook fan page. There's two entries there already that... Pretty much did it to a T. They even used uh, GIFs as well. So again, feel free to enter any way you see fit. Four chances to enter. Four ways to win. One of you will be chosen at random. So with that said, contest is still in effect all the way through uh, September 23rd. The other contest that we are running is for those of you that are fans of the Vampire Diaries or the Originals. Uh, one of you will win a DVD, uh, correction, a Blu-ray box set for one of those two series. I believe it is season six of The Vampire Diaries and season two of the originals. And that contest is also going on right now. For the details with that, head over to RageWorks.net. Check it out. You can win either one of those Blu-ray box sets. We're working uh, with our friends at the Tether Group for that. So we want to give that away. And I got a ton of other stuff I want to give you guys. I got some some DVDs. I got some figures, a whole bunch of stuff. But you guys got to, it works two ways. I set the stuff up, you guys enter, and one of you wins. Like, don't leave me hanging. So with that said, that's what's going on with the two contests for this week. Uh, with regards to our broadcast schedule for the month of September, uh, there will be shows throughout the entire month. I have no time off. For the foreseeable future, unless something comes up where we have to cover an event. But there will be two episodes a week for the remainder of the month of September. And of course, all our other shows are running a full broadcast schedule. In October, we're going to be working the Get Geeked event. We're also going to be at the Photo Plus Expo. No, we will not be at New York Comic Con. So bad news on that front. But it's all good. No worries there. Uh, For those of you that are holding events throughout that week. I'm sure I'll catch up with some of you that have asked. Uh, Last but not least, before we jump into this week's MMA, Slick put together a poll on the RageWorks Facebook group, which if you guys enter and provide the information that he's looking for, one of you may win a code for a game. I'm not going to tell you guys the game just yet because Slick is conducting some market research. So definitely give the man an assist in the group. Share your input, give him the info he's looking for, and who knows, one of you guys may see a code for a game on Xbox One or PS4 in your future. 
All right. So what do we got on deck for tonight? So there's a lot of stuff that happened last week while we were off air or steam. Thank you, Slick. Uh, A lot of stuff that happened off air that I want to get into. I want to get into Hogan's apology. I want to discuss Jimmy Superfly Snuka. I want to talk about what's going on with Conor McGregor and the craziness that transpired during the Go Big or Go Home event. And I also want to address the UFC card from this past weekend. On the wrestling side, you know we're going to talk about Raw. We are also going to talk about some of the other wrestling news of the week. And as always, we will take your calls, 347-324-3541. Again, 347-324-3541 if you want to interact and be part of the show. Or you can use it to listen as well. As always, live show audio and video, mtrlive.com or rageworksnet forward slash live. And our chat room is in progress. So, with that said, let us jump into this week's MMA, shall we? All right, so I want to start with the UFC 191 card. And the reason I want to talk about this card is because a lot of people that were following this card were saying to me throughout throughout the course of the week, they were like, you know, I really don't want to pay for this card. I'm going to try and watch it at, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings or whatever establishment has UFC cards because Demetrius Johnson, who was defending his title, usually dismantles his opponents. And going into this fight, uh, John Dodson was probably the closest guy out there that could have taken the belt from him. And, you know, I was I was apprehensive, like I said, about ordering it. I ended up watching it uh, later on in the evening. And there definitely is a case to be made with regards to one of the best pound for pound fighters on the planet. And I want to get into that. But as always, I want to touch on a couple of other fights that went down as well. And um, share my thoughts on that. So I wanted to talk about and this, you know, this fight in particular got my attention because everyone was talking about the bantamweights, uh, Jessica Andrade, Raquel Pennington, uh, very solid fight from start to finish. Again, one of the few times that and I've said this before that a women's fight actually had a conclusive ending. A lot of times it's decision, 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 unless, of course, you're watching Ronda fight. And very, very rarely do we get KOs, but definitely submissions are always welcome. Raquel Pennington secured the victory via rear naked choke in the second round. Um, Again, the bantamweights, now that uh, it's starting to be a a bigger roster of opponents for the ladies, we're starting to see a little bit more diversity. We're starting to see a little bit more technique, um, a little bit more variety, and I felt that you know, it was a solid fight, a great performance. Raquel Pennington, definitely not a slack, uh, you know, not a slacker at all. On the contrary, she goes in there and she always gives an exciting fight. So I really enjoyed the fight from start to finish. The other fight that everybody was talking about was John Lineker and Francisco Rivera. John Lineker is a guy that everyone talks about as this really, really uh, high-valued prospect in the bantamweight division. And I feel that the accolades and the praise that are being heaped upon him are justified. He had a, a these guys had a crazy, crazy slugfest to start it to start off. And 
people were sharing screen caps and videos of this slugfest. And the thing about it is that obviously it's cool to watch, There's but there's not a lot of technique on display. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, Don Fry, a lot of these old guys during the old UFC days, they'd go in there and have these crazy slugfests. I love watching that shit. I thought it was tremendous. Don't get me wrong. I think it is it is always enjoyable to watch, but there's also a technique that definitely needs to be seen. And in this case, I definitely feel that John Lineker um, was not only just a, a better technically sound fighter in this fight, but he really just showed great technique uh, securing the rear naked choke in the first round after the crazy slugfest that those guys had. So again, another enjoyable fight. I also wanted to talk about the... Paul Felder, Ross Pearson fight. A lot of people had Paul Felder as their winner, yours truly included. And um, I was disappointed to see that the fight ended in a decision, not because of any disrespect to Ross Pearson, but because I just expected more out of that fight. It was, again, a solid fight, but not as exciting as I had hoped. Now, the other fight that everybody's talking about, and it's not Frank Mir and Andre Arlovsky, which is crazy, was Paige Van Zandt and Alex Chambers. Now, obviously, everyone's looking at Paige Van Zandt as the second coming, the next Ronda Rousey, so to speak, for the strawweight division. And the thing that gets me is I I understand the praise, I understand the marketability, but the fact is that, you know, she's only 5-1. You know, she's got a, a a solid record jumping in. And the thing that gets me is that, People were like, yeah, this fight's going to be crazy. It's going to be violent. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. It was a solid contest from both ladies, but it wasn't some sort of a crazy bloodbath. It was technically sound with some really good exchanges between both ladies. Uh, Definitely improved striking from Paige Van Zandt and great transitions. In the third round, uh, she started working the leg kicks a little bit, and, you know, Van Zandt actually used a right, to set up a takedown, and at that point, she pretty much transitioned into taking the, uh, trying to take the back, and didn't end up working the way it should have, but then she transitioned into an arm bar, and Alex Chambers tapped out. Again, solid performance, and you can see the development of Paige Van Zandt as a fighter. You're starting to see just some, some variety in her technique. I mean, she may go out there and swing like a wild woman, but the fact is, that she is, um, she's definitely impressive in all her outings thus far, but it's too early to start talking about her challenging for any belts. Uh, Val says, I'm mad that a woman is the strongest fighter on Team Alpha Male. Hashtag talking shit. Nice work, Val. You know what the thing is? It's funny you say that. Uh, the Alpha Male camp, a lot of people give those guys shit for different reasons, you know, surfer dudes, pretty boys, whatever the case may be, but the fact is that Alpha male, those guys, aside from the issues that they've had with coaching and other things, they they really are a, a complete team. They have a really good dynamic, and they train their asses off. The only thing with them that I feel is that there's so much of an emphasis on wrestling and not enough of an emphasis on tying it together with your striking. Now, a lot of people brought this to, to my attention when TJ Dillashaw fought recently, when he fought against Henan Barrow. You saw that TJ Dillashaw was using really, really crisp striking technique. There was uh, just a substantial improvement from when he was just primarily a team alpha male fighter. And 
some people say that it's just the change to not training with them exclusively. Others say that it's just him evolving as a fighter. But whenever I've seen guys from Team Alpha Male fight, most times they they rely too much on their wrestling base. Like, I mean, Uriah Faber is is a guy who has really good striking. He has solid striking and is always talked about for his wrestling, even though his striking is definitely not subpar in the least. Now, Paige Van Zant has a reputation as a scrapper, uh, an individual, a lady who likes to exchange in the pocket, and that was her reputation coming in, and they've they've fine-tuned it and made some adjustments to allow her to add other weapons to her arsenal. And the thing about that is that that's great and it works well, but if you can apply that same logic to the other fighters in that in that camp, then we'll start seeing more complete and well-rounded fighters. I mean, you got guys in there with genuine lightning in their fists who a lot of times just don't go the distance because they're either too dependent on their wrestling or they gas out. I mean, their conditioning, that was one of the things that everybody talks about with Uriah Faber, just amazing conditioning. And I kind of feel that a lot of the guys out of the camp as of late their conditioning hasn't been what it used to be. I mean, I know some of these guys are taking fights on short notice, so I'm not going to pass too much of too much judgment, but the fact remains that when you look at the overall, you know, the overall dynamic for Alpha Male, it's always been a a wrestling-centered dynamic and then obviously secondary emphasis on striking. But Paige Van Zandt definitely looks like she is breaking that mold. Like I said, solid, solid performance. Now, the other fight I wanted to talk about was Anthony Rumble Johnson, Jimmy Manua. A lot of people were saying that this fight was a step down for Anthony Rumble Johnson, uh, given that Jimmy Manua is ranked number seven in the division. I actually think it was a solid performance. Uh, and the reason I say this is because, again, just because the number seven guy is fighting the number one guy doesn't mean that the number seven guy is necessarily a piece of shit. And that's the problem with with, you know, casual fans, people that don't do their homework. I can, you know, I can attest to, you know, a lot of guys and I'm sure that Val and and Lucha Lee can attest to this just because uh, an organization has rankings doesn't necessarily mean that the rankings are accurate. And I know many of you guys, I know Jimbo Slice and I have talked about this as well, is the fact that when you know, just because the rankings are there doesn't mean they're they're accurate. I mean, I've seen you know, there's guys that are the number eight guy that could come out there and dismantle the number one guy. All it takes is you know two you know two fists and a heartbeat, and and that's the thing that gets me that people automatically assume that it was a step down for Anthony Rumble Johnson. And I said a fight is a fight any day of the week. Anybody could win. Anybody could lose. And what ended up happening in this fight was what you would expect from a guy who's ranked in the top three in the division. You know, it, it's it's one of those things where when you look at a guy like Anthony Rumble Johnson, you realize that this guy has the tools across the board, but it's just a matter of bringing them together. And people fail to comprehend that. Like, people talk about his conditioning or whatever he has going on in his personal life or the weight-cutting issues. Anthony Rumble Johnson is an amazing success story. This is a guy who fought at 170, 185, tried to, you know, tried to fight at 170, had numerous weight issues, finally grew into his physique, grew into his frame, realized 
that 205 is where he should be. And ever since he's made the jump to 205, he's continued to impress. Even in the fight with Cormier, which everybody talked about, you know, just being, you know, him being exposed. And to that, I say that, I, you know, to those people that say that he got exposed, I disagree. It's just a different caliber of fighter. At the end of the day, Daniel Cormier is always going to be a better wrestler than half of the people on this planet. Just because the guy is, you know, an Olympic level wrestler. You're never going to be able to take that away from that guy. Even the even a guy whose wrestling is good may not be able to go toe to toe with Daniel Cormier unless they're just they're just a natural freak. And the thing that gets me is, you know, the thing that gets me in situations like this is the fact that when when the Anthony Rumble Johnson Cormier fight happened, people were automatically like, you see, he got fucking exposed. This is the bullshit I'm talking about. This guy wasn't ready. And I say this. If if Anthony Johnson punches you in the face, there is a 99% chance you're going to sleep. And if you are and if you're still standing, then you got a hell of a chin. And that's what people don't understand that the guy doesn't have to necessarily go in there and use wrestling or Brazilian jiu-jitsu because it always goes the same way. Two shots. I hit you, you hit the ground. That's that's how it goes. And Anthony Rumble Johnson is a is the embodiment of that mantra. I mean, when he fought Alexander Gustafson, that's exactly how it went. When he cracked him on the side of the head and that big seven foot tall Swede folded like a deck of cards, people knew what they were in for. Daniel Cormier took that took some solid shots from Anthony Johnson, but his his pedigree when it comes to wrestling and his ground control is on another level. You know, it's like Val just said, yeah, just not too long ago, Rumble was below top 10 and he dropped the number three guy. And then, you know, Lucelli added that he nearly got his eye ripped out because of the finger poke of doom. Val also added DC got scared after he got dropped by Rumble. And that's what happens. The guy has just just amazing striking. Again, it's just a matter of bringing it together. And that could be a training thing, a mental thing. Who knows? I mean... You got to look at it this way, and I'll use myself as an example. Being, I started, I started lifting weights when I was 14 years old, 13 as a matter of fact, casually, 14 and throughout high school. And even now, at 35 years old, I'm still learning. I'm still learning how to bring shit together that I may have not done when I was younger, either because you know I wanted to go in there and get the, tip, the meathead workout in, or just because, you know, you have to unlearn a lot of habits. And this is one of those things when I see Anthony Rumble Johnson fight, it's the guy knows that he has tremendous power in his fists. He's got amazing lightning and thunder in his hands. And he knows that nine times out of ten, when he connects, you're going to sleep. And the problem with that is that he needs a coach that can go in there and say, listen, you know, your striking is good, but you got to start using your striking to set up other things. I mean, Anthony Johnson is a big dude. Like, he should be able to shoot in with zero problem, and especially against non-wrestlers, and get them to the ground. But the problem is, again, there's that dependency on striking, that dependency on knockout power, and that's great. 
but you're not always going to, you know, there, there are a couple of guys out there who just, they, they have granite chins and they can take some nasty shots. Val even said it, you know, Anthony Johnson, he swings way too wide. And that's the thing. This guy's swinging every time, even when he's not intentionally doing it, every shot he throws is a haymaker to put you out. And in his fight with Jimmy Manua, it was interesting because, you know, Anthony Johnson took him down. He actually got into half guard. Um, He was holding him in half guard. And there were some good scrambles. But the thing that you saw was that Anthony Johnson was working the ground game. Now, in the second round, you know, they, they came in. Johnson, he ducked the left. Then he caught him with a right hand, which was solid. And what happens is Jimmy Manua kind of pawed a little bit of a left in there. But what ended up happening was when Johnson went in, he ate a body kick. And as soon as he ate the body kick, he he just devastated Jimmy Manua with a right hand. And it was over. He just he dropped him clean with that right hand. And of course, a couple of shots on the ground for good measure. And the fight was over again. He went in. He ate the kick. But that right hand, it was lights out. And that's what I'm saying. You see stuff like that. And you just say to yourself, holy shit, this guy, he's just a freak of nature. And that's that's what it is to a degree. I just hope that Anthony Johnson, um, <laughs> yes, Jay, I, did, I didn't realize that until I started getting older, but yes. Um, the thing that gets me with this fight, and it's exactly what I said, everybody that, that went on Twitter and social media right after, oh, you know, Anthony Johnson, he's back. He's back. It's like, yo, the fucking guy never left. He had one bad outing against a guy who's considered one of the top five fighters in the world. So, no, he's not back. Like, I, it, nothing annoys me more than that fucking expression. He's back. Oh, he's back. Like, no, he, the, the guy never fucking left. Everybody has a bad day. Sometimes the bad day may happen in the octagon and you may get knocked the fuck out. But... I hate when Joe Rogan is like, "Hey, he's back." It's like, "No, no he's not. He's not. He was he was there. He just fought a guy that on that day at that time was better than him." You know? Like Val just said, he didn't go anywhere. DC out-wrestled him. Period. Thank you, Val. You understand. But I I I hate that expression. So, "Oh, he's back." Really? I didn't I did I didn't know the fucking guy left. Anyway, Let's get into the uh, the train wreck that was Andre Arlovsky and Frank Mir. And the reason I felt it was a train wreck and many people said the same thing is because there was there was a lot of hesitation. There were a lot of really, really awkward exchanges between both guys. And, you know, myself and Jimbo Slice talked about this. And he said to me the same thing that countless others say. Yo, it depends which Frank Mir is showing up. And that's the thing. When I was watching the the UFC countdown for this event and the UFC embedded vlogs for this event, like Frank Mir is is always going to be a, a, a talented fighter. He's going to be an amazing heavyweight. But watching the videos and watching him talk about the fight, he just seemed way too fucking chill, way too relaxed. Like he he's like, all right, you know, I'm just coming in, punching the clock. Like, he didn't have that, there was no killer instinct, there was no, I don't know, it just it just didn't feel like there was any urgency from either guy. I think Andre Arlovsky, I can understand some hesitation because people have talked about him having a suspect chin, 
But Frank Mir looked like he was fucking crocheting out there. Like he was doing needlepoint and watching Lifetime. I'm like, yo, what the fuck is happening? What is happening? Like the exchanges just looked so lackadaisical, so, so unmotivated for guys that were in essence fighting for a title opportunity. After that fight was over, I said, fuck, I wouldn't give a title fight to either one of those guys because they'd get killed. They'd get killed by Verdum or Kane like this. They'd, they'd get murdered. They would get murdered because Kane, JDS, uh, that upper that upper tier, those three guys, Kane, JDS, and Verdum, it's another, it's another level up there. And a guy like Frank Mir is going to go in there Maybe he comes in at a hundred percent. Maybe he coasts, and he's gonna go in there and get and become a, a crime victim. And Andre Arlovsky, forget it. It's like, dude, if you're gonna go in there, like I like Arlovsky. He's marketable. He's cool. He has an awesome dog, and you know he's just a, a very marketable guy. He has a really cool look. And the thing about him is, it's like everybody's always talked about his chin, and I can understand the apprehension. But it's like, dude, this fight was fucking... I, I was you watching it in slow-mo. Lucha Lee says, Mir saw his career on the line when he fought Duffy and felt he had something to prove because Duffy was talking a little smack. He prepared for that fight. Mir didn't see his career in danger for the Arlovsky fight, so he didn't prepare, it seems. I can fucking agree with that 100%. Lucha Lee adds, if Mir trains, he's a beast, but he seems like there are times where he just doesn't care and he's just stepping in the cage for a paycheck. Bingo, give that man a gold star. And that's exactly it. When you look at it, I, like I said, I watched the vlogs, I watched the um, the countdown specials, and I said to myself, really? Like, this guy's way too chill to, to be going into the cage for, for what may be a number one contender fight. And it bothered me as I watched it. Like, Arlovsky, you could see he was motivated and he was hungry, but Mir's just like, yeah, I could go in there and coast and maybe get a decision. And it's funny because a lot of people actually felt that Mir won that fight via decision. Of course, the, the victory went to Arlovsky in this situation. And, you know, like I said, if I had to, if I were in the position that I had to choose one of these guys to fight for the belt, I'd be like, nope. I'd pick somebody else. I'd get, I, I'd fucking call Tank Abbott to come out of retirement to fight before I give either one of these guys a title shot. And the reason is not because of lack of ability, but just because there was no motivation to go in there and get the job done. And again, it, it's my take. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not a professional fighter. I'm not in the cage to understand the mentality, but I've watched enough MMA and I've watched enough sports where you can see whose who's heart is in the game and who's there to get paid. It, you know, especially when you watch uh, boxing, when you watch, uh, you know, certain certain sports. Boxing is a great example. You see guys that are in there that are ready to put their lives on the line to beat the shit out of somebody to get their name out there. And then you see guys that are coasting. Floyd Mayweather. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. Floyd Mayweather coasts through his fucking fights. His fights are like are, are like watching a Billy Blanks workout tape. It looks really cool, but there's a whole lot of nothing going on. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a boxing aficionado. I'm not a guy who's who's super into the sport, you know, super into the sport of boxing, even though, uh, you know, Slice has put me on to a couple of good fights. Uh, the Kovalev fight, 
uh, the Golovkin fight, a couple of awesome fights. So I'm starting, I'm starting to really respect the sport and understand the sport, but I am not a pro. I don't know. Sh- I don't know shit about it the way other guys do. But the fact is that again, a lot of flash, a lot of pretty, a lot of pretty, and there's a whole lot of nothing going on. And it's funny because Val says Floyd point fights and a few champs in the UFC do as well, including Jones. Here's, here's the thing. There's when you, when you become champion and I'm glad that you brought up John Jones, but I'm going to give you a better example. George St. Pierre is a good example of that. When George St. Pierre was going in to get that belt and he took the belt and he started coasting and then Matt Sarah took his lunch money that's when it was a wake-up call for GSP. When GSP had that belt taken from him by Matt Sarah just out of nowhere, GSP is like, oh, I have to get back in the gym and get ready for my fight. And that's what it was. When GSP fought Nick Diaz, Nick Diaz did the right thing. He took it to George St. Pierre, and he forced GSP to, to bring the fight to him. And that's what happened. Some of these guys like, ah, you know, my ability will get me get me through it. And that's that's well and that's all well and good. But it doesn't always work that way. It doesn't always work that way. And GSP is a shining example of that. And I and I love GSP. He's a great fighter. You know, one of the all time greats. But motherfucker would coast in certain fights. Like everybody that know that watched the fight between him and Johnny Hendricks knows that. That that fight went GSP's way because the judges were fucking generous. Because Johnny Hendricks put a fucking ass whooping on GSP. But, you know, people are people that are, you know, and I hate to use this term that are nut huggers. Nah, man, GSP had that GSP. had No, he fucking didn't. He didn't. You're crazy if you think that. And, and that that, you know, here's a good example. Robbie Lawler. And um, who the hell did he just fight that they that they those guys had Robbie Lawler's last title defense is a great example of that. This is a guy that busted his ass to get there. He busted his ass to get to the to the top of the food chain and he would accept nothing less than than, you know, just being in there and being the man. Nothing less was going to be accepted. Nothing. And the thing that gets me is that people will automatically go and say, yeah, you know, GSP, he's a he's, you know, he's a legend, he got lucky, whatever the case may be. Let let me let me put it to you in a very simple way. GSP was hungry to get the belt, complacent when he had the belt, hungry when he lost the belt and complacent when he got the belt. Those are the facts. Robbie Lawler on the other hand is hungry to keep it, hungry to defend it, and he was hungry to win it. And that's when you start seeing the real fighters out there. That guys that are going out there for the kill every time, they're ready to go out on their fucking shield. Robbie Lawler is that guy. Cain Velasquez is that guy. Junior Dos Santos is that guy. I could even go go Roy Big Country Nelson is that guy mark hunt forget it you know mark hunt is a great example this guy was written off by mma fans the ufc gave him a chance when they acquired pride 
And Mark Hunt is just he's just on another level because the guy knows what the deal is. He knows what the deal is. <laughs> Props to Lucha Lee who said Roy Nelson is always hungry. Yes. Yes, the hell he is. But this is what I'm saying. You know, if if you're looking at heavyweight contenders, it wasn't Andre Arlovsky, and it sure as hell was not Frank Mir. Not not in the least. And anybody who says otherwise, you were you you and I were watching a different fight. Simple as that. Anyway, let's jump into this title fight. Demetrius Johnson, John Dodson, the magician. I'm gonna give I'm gonna tell you guys something before I share my my breakdown of this fight. When John Dodson had the announcement, you know, when John when John Dodson got word that his daughter was being born and he left to go and watch his daughter being born and then fought the next day, I said, John Dodson is going to lose. I said it as soon as I saw it. As soon as he was like, oh, man, you know, they showed in the in the UFC embedded, oh, man, I got to go home. My wife is in labor. And, again, congratulations to, to John Dodson. You know, he's a, he's a new father. Um, I believe it's his second child, I want to say. Maybe his second and possibly his first. Not 100% sure. But... The thing was, the minute that that happens, you know, it's a life-changing it's a life-changing situation. And I'm sorry, you're not going to shut off that aspect of your brain to go in there and fight at 100% in a title fight. It's not happening. I I don't, you know, it, it, there's it's psychological at that point. You know, you go, you're in this you're in this state of bliss, you're happy, you're on cloud 9, you know, you have your new kid, you know, you got your wife, everything, everybody pulled through, everything is good. And then you got to fly back to fight for, for a title. And you have to get your mind back into that, that mindset, that killer mindset. And as soon as I saw that, I said, as much as I like John Dodson, he's going to lose. You know, that's, that's how I, that's how I felt. And again, don't get me, don't get me wrong. John Dodson's an incredible fighter and probably one of the guys that has gotten, has has been the closest to taking the title from Demetrius Johnson. But this this fight was a clinic. A clinic for Demetrius Johnson from bell to bell. And one of the reasons obviously is because he has amazing ability that people fail to recognize including the UFC that you know Dana White he he begrudgingly said was uh, you know at the at the post fight press conference like yeah you know, DJ is definitely, you know, one of the pound for pound fighters. It's like, yo, the guy has the guy has cleared out his entire division. Don't act like like it's not a fucking big deal that he has no challengers. He's beaten everyone. This guy could go up to the next weight class easy because there's nobody left. What are you going to give us? Repeat fights? The same fights we've seen? No. And again, no disrespect to John Dodson. John Dodson's an incredible fighter. He's he's a, he's a great fighter. But Demetrius Johnson, you know, he's you know he he was just a better man that night, and he he dismantled John Dodson for five rounds. It was five rounds of just picture perfect dissection from bell to bell. And like I said, did did the birth of his child have something to do with it? Maybe, maybe not. But I just feel that it's incredibly difficult to to shut off. 
it's here. Here's a good example. You you have your significant other, male or female, whatever your preference. And, you know, the night before you have a good time, you know, you get laid, you wake up Monday morning, you're on cloud nine, you're you're having a good day and you're going to work and your boss is yelling at you and your coworkers are fucking blaming you for shit. And you're still on cloud nine because you're just in that mindset. Like, you're just like, yeah, okay, you're 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 real chill. I mean, eventually it'll wear thin and you'll go crazy and possibly burn down your entire office. But those first few hours of your day, you're on cloud nine. And I know a lot of you guys can attest to that. You come in to to your job, whatever the case may be. And if you had you had an amazing night or an amazing morning, depending, you're going to walk in there and you're going to be like, yeah, you know, today's a good day. And, um, you know, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to fucking take the world by I'm going to take the world by the throat and strangle it, and it's going to be an amazing day. And that's what happens. Like, this guy had to go see his kid being born. All right, my kid, it's great, fantastic. Okay, I got to catch a plane. And then leaves. Your brain is not switching off. I'm sorry, it's not. It is not. And Demetrius Johnson took full advantage of that, and he was the better man. Now, the UFC needs to start looking at, A, is Demetrius Johnson going to go up a class, or are we going to start getting some fucking super fights? Because not for nothing, I think he's about due. He's cleared out his division, period. Anyway, overall, this UFC card was 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 solid, definitely solid. A lot of great fights, a lot of good finishes, and we got to see just how uh, how much of a dominant fighter Demetrius Johnson is. I know a lot of people were leaving the arena and people were booing and all this shit, and it just it bothers me. Not because of the fact that they're booing him or they're walking out of the arena, but it's like the UFC should know at this point that you have to put Demetrius Johnson in a co-main. You got to have him in two in a two-title fight card. He can't be the main event, and it's not disrespect to him. It's it's just the fact that people don't tune in as passionately because they know most times he's going to walk through his opponents. That's it. He's going to walk through them. And that and that's pretty much how it's going to go. Simple as that. Anyway, let's switch gears, jump into the other MMA news of the week. Got a few of those and we'll get into the week's wrestling. So five bonuses, $50,000 were handed out. Uh, Raquel Pennington got a performance bonus. So did Anthony Rumble Johnson and fight of the night went to John Lineker and Francisco Rivera because holy shit, they definitely deserved it. Those guys beat the holy hell out of each other. So Each of those fighters got $50,000. In some retirement news, I am sad to report that Sam Stout announced his retirement on UFC Tonight. Sam Stout has been a staple in the organization for quite some time. The guy had an overall 20-12 and MMA record. He went 9-11 and in the UFC. And his announcement, I understood why he did it, and I respected the, the class that he showed. He said... It has become clear to me that I am no longer able to compete at the highest level of mixed martial arts. Competing as a UFC fighter for the last 10 years has been something I will always look back on with great pride. I think my best days as a fighter are behind me, and it would be a risk to my legacy and my health to continue competing. Therefore, I'd like to announce my retirement from the sport of mixed martial arts. See, the guy, guy, he understood the sport's evolving. You know, as good as you are, you're not evolving at the same rate. 
and the guy hung hung up, you know, he hung up his hat and he he took his ball and went home. I respect it. You know, Sam Stout always went in there. He, he always had exciting fights. And um, I, I really wanted to talk about it because, again, you know, we talk about guys that their careers are, are on their way out or they're at the quote-unquote twilight of their career. And many people sit there and they're like, you know, this guy needs to retire, blah, blah, blah. And it's it's different because eventually you're going to wake up and the writing's going to be on the wall and you're going to be like, you know what? I can't do this shit. And I respect the way he did it. Guy was a class act all the way through. Uh, wish him the best of luck in whatever he does next. Like I said, he had a lot of great and exciting fights in the cage. So hopefully his post-fight career, maybe the UFC will give him a job. Maybe he'll get an analyst job with Fox. Who knows? We shall see what happens. Now, of course, it wouldn't be an MMA segment without talking about Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor is out of his fucking mind. Uh, for a couple of reasons. First, obviously, new season of The Ultimate Fighter going on right now with him and Uriah Faber as coaches. I recorded it. I haven't watched it yet. We'll see if it sucks or not. That's 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 a whole other ball of wax. The thing I want to talk about is the UFC's Go Big or Go Home event that happened recently where Conor McGregor pretty much took over the entire event and pretty much clowned everybody that was there. To the point where he said he was going to go up to 155 after he beats Jose Aldo and he was going to whoop ass in 155. Of course, Donald Cerrone took offense to that and a lot of heated words were exchanged. Chad Mendez was there. Words were exchanged with Chad Mendez. We got our obligatory face off with him and Jose Aldo. It was just chaos and pandemonium. It was Conor McGregor essentially taking a shovel and burying every one of his fellow UFC competitors and champions. It was insane. It was ridiculous. It was over the top. And I got to look at it from, from from two different perspectives. And some of you may agree. Some of you may not. As always... I'm always I'm always open to hear what you got to say. Conor McGregor is an amazing showman. The guy knows how to sell fights. He knows what needs to be done. He knows what he knows how to make the system work for him. Here's my problem. My problem is not the fact that the guy knows how to leverage the system to work for him because that's all part of entertainment. My issue with Conor McGregor is the fact that the UFC has pretty much poured their entire stock into one guy. And I've talked about this before and it always bites them in the ass. Conor McGregor doesn't need to be hyped up. Conor McGregor doesn't need to be on TV every five seconds. Why? Because he's entertaining and polarizing enough that people want to hear what he has to say. And the fact is that I felt it was in poor taste, but for the UFC to let Conor McGregor bring his circus to this event, and pretty much shit on your entire roster, and Dana White is just sitting there laughing. And that's what bothered me the most. You know, if you watch the highlights, it's Conor McGregor talking a lot of shit, and let me let me see if I can find it. Because I want you guys to hear, I want you guys to hear just Conor McGregor being a belligerent Irishman. And the thing that, get, that gets me is that Jimbo Slice, you're not getting me with that shit. Um, as I was saying the the thing that gets me is that he came in there he talked all this shit and Dana White 
And like I said, this was the worst part. Dana White co-signed. He was he was on board with it. Like he was. I'm like, yo, are you kidding me, dude? Like you're really letting this rock. And I and I want to find the video clip because the guys at um tap nap and snap actually had a really good um they had a really good highlight package of just Conor McGregor being a complete psychopath. And uh, let me see if I find it because this you guys you guys got to hear this because it was insane. I'm like, yo, this. The fact that Dana White is letting this happen is an embarrassment. It really is. Let's see if I can find it. If not, then we will move on. But if I can if I can play this audio, you guys are going to lose your minds. So, yep, here we go. Uh, let me rewind it. You can fight McGregor, even though... There we go. Listen to, listen to him just being a crazy... You don't have to fight Cerrone, you can fight McGregor, even though Cerrone was still fit. Would you take it? You're damn right you take of it. Of course, man. Easy because money. I you change your bum life. Easy money, man. I can make you don't rich. You, I change your bum life. You fight me, it's a celebration. Of course you can. I you. When you uh, sign uh, to fight me, it's a celebration. You ring back home. You ring your wife. Baby, we done it. We're rich, baby. Conor McGregor made us rich. Break out the red panties. We're rich, baby. So don't say you would not take that fight because you would take that fight like everyone else up here would take the fight against me if it was offered, regardless of belts or any of that shit. I'm the money fight in the male, male shit at all weight division, so fuck everybody else up here. Yeah, it's red panty night when you sign to fight me, yeah? Back at your back at home with your wife. It's a celebration. Connor, Connor has no right coming up to 55. There's no way he's not going to stand a chance. We're too big for him. We're too strong, so you can take your little English ass and get on. You're too slow and too stiff. You're stiff as a board. I'd snap you in half. And, and that's it. Yes. Before I let this play on, the first exchange was between Conor McGregor and Rafael Dos Anjos, who was defending his belt against Donald Cerrone. The next portion of it, which you're hearing now, is Conor McGregor and Donald Cerrone having a few words. Donald Cerrone, of course, saying, hey, Conor McGregor, you come up to 155, you're getting your ass kicked. This is when it starts to get fucking crazy. I see stiffness when I look in that 155-pound division. Slow, stiff. I feel like they're stuck in the mud almost. The featherweights, they hit like flyweights. So it's nice down there just destroying them and killing that whole division. But I have my eye on that 155 division, and I see them all stuck in the mud in there. So Connor, we'll see, we'll see over time. But guess what? Have I been wrong yet? Have I been wrong yet? No. You have a monster right here at 45, Auto about to beat your ass. You beat nobody, and you think you're going to come up to 155 make a statement? Come on, man. Sit the fuck down. Yeehaw! 2016. I, well, the end of 2015 means the end of the featherweight division. They are all dead in the water. It's done. If if the Brazilian shows up, I hope he does. I, I, I Who knows? He's petrified. He's the so-called pound-for-pound number one, but he's quaking in his boots over there. You can't... You know, yeah. I mean? so I don't know. I hope he shows up. But if he shows up December 12th, the division will be killed, like I predicted. And then it's on to the 155 stuck in the mud division. I All right. You in three weeks. So before I let this play further, him and Chad Mendes are going to have an exchange, which is going to make everybody in the chat room lose their minds. But here's the thing. He's talking about beating Jose Aldo, closing out that division and making the jump to 155. Couple of things. First of all, you're looking past Jose Aldo again, who is a fucking killer. And this is what bothers me. I like Conor McGregor. I I like everything about the dude. His striking, his approach to the fight game, 
the shit talking, the theatricality, I like all of it. But when it comes down to brass tacks, Jose Aldo is a fucking animal. Jose Aldo's on another level. Look at Jose Aldo's record on Sure Dog. Just, just for shits and giggles. Look at his record. And you'll see that Jose Aldo is not a dude that you look past. You don't look past Jose Aldo. Are you crazy? You don't, you don't do that. You don't look past him. You're out of your mind if you do that. Anyway, this is when it gets crazy. So this exchange, it's McGregor and Chad Mendez. Check this out. No, it's two. No, you did not. If, 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 let, let's make a bet here. Let's, if, if you fucking have the How much? to do anything. With that half a million. You're making bets with that half a million I gave you? 48,000 you went from. You went from 48,000 to half a million. Thank me and be grateful. Be grateful. Okay, you done fucking talking now? So, Chad Mendez is talking a whole bunch of shit. And Conor McGregor, which I'm sure Dana White was pissed off about, said that the guy went from making 48,000 to half a million. So... The guy made a half a, a half a million dollar payday on that fight with Conor McGregor. Just just so you guys are keeping score. He took the fight on whatever, three weeks, four weeks notice, and he made half a million. That's all I'm saying. Let's let's go let's go back to that audio. Take this fight on two weeks notice with me, motherfucker, and I'll whoop your ass. Two weeks, three weeks, that's a I butchered your face. I KO'd you. You were curled up like a bitch. You were curled up like a bitch. You were curled up like a bitch. I like butchered your body. You couldn't even lift your hands up. You couldn't even lift your hands up. You can do that all you want, but at the end of the day, the knockout speaks for itself, and you hit the deck like a bitch. Fucking idiot. Yeah. I wanted to speak to you. I wanted. I did want to speak to you because you called yourself the Mike Tyson of the featherweight division. Fucking stop drinking. I just want to ask you a question. You called yourself the Mike Tyson of the featherweight division, and I marched forward, stood in the pocket, and said, "What have you got?" And you hit like a fucking strawway. You hit like a strawway. Calling yourself the Mike Tyson. Your left eye, buddy. You're gonna fucking have that. Next question. Every time you look in the mirror, you're gonna think of me. Of course, we get out here. He wants to run his mouth, but it's good. You know, he sells the fights, but he comes to one with the five. He's gonna bend his little ass over and knock the fucking lucky charm. See about that. First, you've got to get through a guy that whooped your ass already. So why would I waste my time with a guy? You, you're fighting a guy that whooped your ass next. So you got to come through that. And let me say, and then I'll consider. I'll check the numbers. I'll discuss it with Frank, and I'll decide whether I'll change your bum life as well. I was there, July 11th. He was not. All right, so this last bit, uh, Jose Aldo had to had to leave the event early because he was going to be the best man at a wedding. So, of course, they're going to do the face-off before Jose Aldo leaves. And if you didn't expect fireworks, then you haven't watched fucking MMA because that's exactly what went down. Anyway, this is the last bit. Play this, and then we'll move on. Up here to square Wait off. until you hear this. Wait until you hear this one. They're going to square off here right now. Jose Aldo has to catch a plane. He is the best man at a wedding. Jose uh, has to catch a plane. <laughs> How the fuck am I supposed to get excited about this thing and he's gone? He doesn't want to be here. He's not going to be there December 12th like he was not there July 11th. So I'll tell everyone up here, 145 right through to 170, prepare for this fight because I don't think he's showing up. 
It, it's the opportunity of a lifetime you have, so get ready and don't use Chad's excuse of camps and all this bullshit. Stay ready because he's gone running. All right, so there's the face-off. And um, like I said, fireworks. I'll, I'm going to share the video from Tap, Nap, or Snap in the uh, Rageworks group and the Rageworks fan page for you guys to see the video for yourselves. Just fucking chaos and insanity. And what bothered me about this is that Conor McGregor had an open mic pretty much this entire time shitting on everybody, and Dana White's just real chill about it. And as a promoter, as a guy who's supposed to be running an organization, you got to be like, yo, man, you can't you can't go out there and clown these dudes, man. These are our champs. These are people that pe- these are guys that people are paying money to see. No, McGregor just it became the Conor McGregor show. It became the circus, the dog and pony show. And that's the shit that's been bothering me. Not not McGregor or what he's doing, but the fact that the organization just lets him do this fucking circus you know, and, and it just, you know, it, it bugs me that, that the organization just sits by and lets that happen. Now, Val says Connor just set up like 12 fights. That, that's true. But you got to remember, if Connor McGregor goes into the cage against Jose Aldo and loses, that entire circus that just happened that you guys just heard will mean nothing. It will mean shit. None of that is going to matter when it's all said and done if he goes out there and, and gets the job done. if he I mean, let me rephrase that. If he goes out there and he doesn't get the job done, none of this means anything. Now, Jimbo Slice says they know exactly what they're doing. It, I don't disagree. I know that the organization knows exactly what it's doing, but it bothers me that they just let, let him fucking turn this into a complete circus when it's an event to pretty much plug all the other fights that are on deck it's insanity and like i said you know you got guys in there they're they're just you know fuck you i'm gonna kick your ass go fuck yourself blah 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 it's like yo am i watching am i watching boondock saints or am i watching a a sporting event and this is the stuff that people are gonna look at you know mainstream media and they're gonna be like wow what's happening I mean, don't get me wrong. It happens in every sport. There's shit talking and stuff. But this was on another level. You know? You know? That's that's how it is. Now, now Jimbo Slice says circus events bring home the bacon. I, I don't disagree. It's just, I don't know, man. Like, I watched that unfold, and I felt uncomfortable just because I'm like, wow, you know, you guys are supposed to be running a, a quote-unquote professional event and it's just it's just fucking mayhem, mayhem. Now Val adds, uh, think about this money wise. If Jose loses, they've got fights every other month. Connor will spin it and still do those fights. I, I don't. It's it's crazy. I'm surprised no one called him a paper champ. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that Val because that's what we're going into next. So I wanted to play that for you guys because that was a warm up for uh, a recent uh, media scrum where. Conor McGregor was not happy with the fact that Joe Rogan said that the interim UFC featherweight belt was illegitimate. Once again, Joe Rogan putting himself in hot water, not giving a fuck. And here's the thing. And I've talked about this with, with, with a lot of you guys off air. I've talked about this on air. You created a belt for a guy that... Jose Aldo was injured. It wasn't like Jose Aldo was injured 
for six months or a year or a year and a half. He was injured for a couple of weeks and you created a belt that, you know, is in essence a, a placeholder. And, and I'm sorry to say it. People are like, oh, Conor McGregor's the champ. Conor McGregor's the champ of what? He's the champ of beating Chad Mendes' ass? Great. More power to him. Great performance. Congratulations. But let's not kid ourselves. That belt was given to him so he can take it home and show it off. I'm sorry to say it. Well, you know when interim belts get created? When the guy's on the shelf for six months. When the guy's on the shelf for nine months, a year, a year and a half. Then we talk interim titles. You created an interim belt for an inter- for an injury that Jose Aldo had that was, what, three weeks, four weeks? It's, 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 it's a joke. And again, I like Conor McGregor, but don't, don't feed me that shit. That, oh, you know, he's, he's the interim featherweight champion. No, he's not. He's the guy that's at a WWE event carrying a replica belt. That's what Conor McGregor is right now. It's, it's the equivalent of me going on WWEshop.com, paying $300, getting a WWE championship belt, and walking into an arena and saying I'm the champ. That's, that's what's happening. I, I am, Conor McGregor is that guy, and it's not his fault. Zufa and the UFC were like, yeah, man, you know, you're going to be the interim champion. I'm not going to say no to that. Yo, give me a belt. Give me the money. Fuck it. He's not going to say no. He'd be an idiot not to. But don't sit there and get mad when people go, yo, you're you're not really the 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 you're not the real champ. And that's what happened. Joe Rogan was like, yo, the belt is illegitimate. Joe Rogan kept it 100. He kept it real. And these are the facts. The Conor McGregor is that guy. He's the guy that went and bought the belt at the store and he walks around with it. That's who he is right now. And it's not his fault. It's what the organization created. It is, it is a, a, a caricature of what a champion should be. When he goes out there and beats Jose Aldo and holds the real belt, then I will acknowledge him as the real champion. He is right now featherweight number one ranked featherweight that's what he is with a belt that's what it is they could have just as easily given him a ufc belt belt buckle to put on his belt that he wears now and it would have had the same effect they just wanted to create it they needed to create it to feel that this was the right thing to do because conor mcgregor's who they want as champion give me a fucking break i'm gonna go tomorrow and i'm gonna order a u.s championship from wweshop.com and when I do the show next week I'm going to be the United States champion. That's who that's who I'm going to be. Rich is the United States champion this week. Why? Cuz I have a belt just cuz. You know, I bought it. It has my name on it. I'm the champ. Get the fuck out of here. Anyway, so when Joe Rogan said, said that the belt was illegitimate, Connor said, "Really? What is a belt? What is Jose's belt? He was handed the belt when they bought the WEC. He was gifted his belt." He didn't win it from anybody. I mean, the belt doesn't mean jack shit. It's the numbers and real that really mean business. That's what I hold. Every number in the damn game. As far as belts and stuff, I don't really care about the belt as well. Whatever Joe wants to say, it's fine. If he wants to say it's an illegitimate belt, that's his business. But December 12th, I will unify the belts, move up to lightweight, and win that belt as well. 
You know? So, here's here's the thing. I respected his response, but you can tell that he was annoyed. You know, because it's like, yo, dude, you're not really the champion. You're not. Like, he's talking about the numbers, the numbers, the numbers, the numbers. Yeah, that's great. But guess what happens, dude? Those numbers and that bankroll are great. But you cannot go to sleep at night thinking you are the best pound-for-pound fighter on the planet if you haven't beat the guy that has the belt. I'm sorry. Everybody's like, oh, Daniel Cormier is your light heavyweight champion. Yes, he's your light heavyweight champion because he won it because it had to be vacated, but he didn't beat John Jones for it. When, when and, and, and he said it himself. He's like, yo, I need John Jones back. I need him back in the cage. I need it. Because, again, as a man, as a competitor, if there's somebody that, you know, he's number one and you're number two, you're going to want to find a way for you to be number one. Period. I don't care what it is. It could be boxing. It could be fucking tiddlywinks, hopscotch, jacks, fucking 21, uno, whatever the case may be. If you're not number one and you're not trying to be, then you're in the wrong fucking game. Period. That's that. That's what gets me. Everybody's talking about, oh, you know, he's the champ. No. Until you beat that guy. It's like what I said about Chris Weidman. I like Chris Weidman. He's a great ambassador for the sport. He's an awesome fighter. But do you think that he does not think about the fact that he did not beat Anderson Silva decisively? And no, don't tell me that he knocked him out. Anderson Silva was showboating. He put his fucking head out there and he got cracked in the dome. That's what happened to Anderson Silva. It wasn't the fact that he was knocked out in in a in a in a heavily competitive fight. No. Anderson Silva got started showboating and he got put to fucking sleep. Oh, what about the leg break? What about it? Once again, oh, Anderson Silva's leg broke. Sorry. Get take some calcium supplements before you fight. That that's all I got to tell you. And that's the thing that bothers me. You know, there's always that necessity, that that urge to be the best. And if you don't got it, then you're in it for the wrong idea. You know, for him to say, yeah, you know, the numbers, the numbers, the numbers, the numbers, the numbers. Yeah, but what about pride? What about the need to be number one? What about the competitiveness? What about it? You know, what about what about that? What about just the desire as, as, as a man, as a competitor to be the best in the game? At whatever it is, it's crazy to me. It is crazy. Anyway, a couple of fight announcements I got to put out there for you guys. Um, Carlos Condit and Robbie Lawler will be headlining UFC 195. Originally, they were going to have UFC 193, but of course, due to Robbie Lawler's hand injury, he had to withdraw from that fight. Ronda Rousey and Holly Holm were promoted, uh, moved from their fight to be the main event for UFC 193. UFC 195 takes place January 2nd. Like I said, Robbie Lawler, Carlos Condit is your main event for the welterweight title. Your co-main event is Joanna Judezic taking on Claudia Gadeja uh, to defend for the strawweight title. Again, January 2nd in Vegas is the Lawler-Condit fight and uh, Joanna Judezic and Claudia Gadeja. Now, It's been a while. I haven't been able to give you guys some Bellator news, but I'm really looking forward to this upcoming Bellator card for two reasons. Number one, because it's going to have kickboxing and MMA taking place in the same arena on the same night. You're going to have a cage and you're going to have a ring in the arena 
at the same time, and you're going to have both types of fights taking place. Super excited for it. Uh, kickboxing is always fun to watch. If you're not a, fi- a fan of the MMA ground game, you got to give kickboxing a shot. A lot of great fighters in, in, in numerous kickboxing organizations that are always fun to watch. So here's the full card, and this card goes down next Saturday. Uh, it is called Bellator 142 Dynamite. You got 20 fights on the card. You're going to get MMA fights and glory kickboxing fights. So let me break it down to you because, like I said, it's a crazy, crazy night of fight. On the main card, you're going to have a light heavyweight tournament, which is taking place that night. You're going to have Phil Davis and Emmanuel Newton, and they're squaring off, and King Mo is taking on Linton Vassell. Of course, the winners from those fights will meet later on in the evening. Also on that card, Mike Bronzoulis will be taking on the newly debuted uh, Bellator's Josh Thompson. Of course, we know that Josh the Punk Thompson left the UFC heading to Bellator. That fight is going down next weekend. Paul Daly is going to be taking on Fernando Gonzalez. That's going to be a glory kickboxing match. You guys know Paul Semtex Daly. The guy has dynamite for fists, and he's going to be competing in a kickboxing match on Saturday. Also, Hadley Griffith will be taking on Carrie Ann Taylor Melendez. That is also going to be a glory kickboxing match. The light heavyweight, the vacant light heavyweight title will be decided as uh, Saulo Calavari takes on Zach McQuesa. Make sure to watch that because that fight's going to be crazy. And then, of course, the finals for the light heavyweight tournament and your main event, Liam McGeary will be taking on Tito Ortiz for the Bellator light heavyweight championship let me let me let me put that back out there tito ortiz in 2015 is fighting for a belt that's all i gotta say tito ortiz in 2015 is fighting for a belt that's all i gotta say anyway this card goes down spike tv free saturday night the prelims you can watch on spike.com um they're actually going to have one alternate fight on Spike.com. It's Francis Carmont taking on Felipe Linz. Uh, the winner of this of that fight is going to serve as an alternate in case any of the competitors in the light heavyweight tournament cannot continue. Val writes, wait, what, why? How the hell did this happen? Dude, I don't know. I guess Tito Ortiz's victory over Stefan Bonner earned him a title opportunity. Why? I couldn't even tell you, dude. Couldn't even tell you. Anyway, let's uh, go down the list. For those of you that have been keeping an eye on the Fedor Emelianenko news, um, a lot of people are reporting that he signed with the UFC. Uh, A lot of stuff going on around on social media. A lot of people talking about it. A lot of hushed tones. But Bloody Elbow reported that Fedor is not going to make a formal announcement until two or three weeks from now. So, you're going to have to wait a minimum of three, well, a minimum of two weeks, maximum of three weeks to find out where the last emperor will be going. A lot of people are saying Bellator, but the big money is in the UFC and the big fights are in the UFC. I would not be shocked if the Bellator signing, I mean, the uh, the Fedor signing is not announced at the um, Jose Aldo Conor McGregor fight or probably in some big event because it's going to be big. Whenever they announce that Bella, the uh, the Fedor signing, it's going to be huge. A lot of people felt that he was going to go to Bellator, which is what, I, what I've what i been 
almost saying the last three times already. But I feel that even though him going to Bellator would give him probably the easiest the easiest path to a title, the fact is that you want to go to the big dance, you want to go to the big show, and that's the UFC. And I think if Fedor goes to the UFC, he's going to want to go and get some of those big money fights. So we'll know officially what goes down within the next three weeks. If, if sooner, of course, I will let you guys know. The UFC finalized UFC 192, which is going down October 3rd. Uh, Daniel Cormier will be defending his light heavyweight title against Alexander Gustafson. We will also see the return of Rashad Evans as he takes on Ryan Bader. Johnny Hendricks will be fighting on that card, taking on Tyron Woodley. Jessica I will be taking on Juliana Pena. Ali Baganoff will be taking on Joseph Benavides, which should be an awesome fight. And Angela Hill will be taking on Rose Namajunas. Definitely a solid card. UFC 192, October 3rd, going down at the Tokyo Center in uh, at the Toyota, <laughs> the Tokyo Center, at the Toyota Center in Houston. Again, mark that down on your calendars to see DC and Gustafson square off. All right, so last bit of MMA news to wrap things up. I was really looking forward to seeing Pat Barry fighting at the Glory 24 co-main event, but unfortunately he sustained an elbow injury and will not be fighting at that event. Uh, He was scheduled to face Carl Roberson, but as of right now, that is not going to be the case. Instead, the middleweight fight between uh, Dustin Jacoby and Wayne Barrett has been moved to the co-headliner slot. There's been no timetable yet for Pat Barry's return. For those of you interested in seeing the glory card, it goes down uh, October 9th, and it'll probably air on Spike TV. So once we get more news on that card and it's finalized, I will share it with you guys. All right, so with that, we are going to wrap up this week's MMA and jump into some wrestling Booker T, take us into it, shall we? We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! Alright, so, hmm, I wonder why the, uh... Banner's not showing for wrestling this week. Hmm. All right. I guess I'll have to add those in post. Anyway, let's jump right to it and talk about this week's episode of Raw, which I got to tell you guys was not that good. It really wasn't. I mean, you know, we're building up tonight at Champions. There were some high points, which is what I'm going to get into. We had some low points. And of course, we had some really shitty moments. First thing I want to talk about is the shit, because the shit is what's funny. Um, The whole Lana, Dolph Ziggler, Summer Rae, Rusev program that's been going on is fucking terrible. Terrible. Everything about it is terrible. The acting is shit. The the matches have been less than stellar. And the buildup to Lana possibly getting in the ring has really just not got anyone interested in in this feud whatsoever. And on top of that, Lana sustained an injury. She broke her wrist, I believe. So she will be on the fence for, I believe, four to five months is what I'm hearing. Six months tops. So 
any momentum she may have had has just flushed itself down the toilet. And it pains me to say it, but I'm fucking glad. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the entire, the just the entire program is just terrible. Dolph Ziggler went from perennial, consistent, IC title holder, U.S. title contender to the guy that carries Lana's luggage and possibly hands her a tampon when she can't reach it. That's what he is. And Rusev went from coming into a fucking tank at WrestleMania to throwing Summer Rae birdseed every morning. Again, neither guy has benefited from this program whatsoever. Both guys have, have, they've just been sitting there, just sitting there treading water. Rusev is a guy that you can move into the mid card. He can challenge for any belt. Hell, you can even move him into the main event scene and probably nobody would be, would bat an eyelash because the guy's wrestling is good and he's just a good foreign villain. He is easy to boo and he wrestles good enough that people take notice. Period. And the the worst part about it is that in Ziggler's case, whether you love him or hate him, the guy has always been a mainstay in either IC or US title contention. In any in any any feud, there's always a belt, or at least he's in the mix for it. And instead, all we're getting is hey, I saw him naked, I saw her naked, let's make out, don't touch me, I touched you, show us on the doll where they touched you. Nobody gives a shit. They really don't. You can hear it. When Summer Rae was out there cutting her her terrible promo and Rusev comes out with his control top pants and it's like, it's okay, Summer. It's okay. Submissive Summer. It's all right. I'm like, yo, shut up. Shut the fuck up because it's shit. It is shit. Terrible. Terrible. And the worst part is that the crowd was just shitting on that entire segment. And, of course, you can always say, yeah, the crowd wasn't into it. No, the crowd hated that shit. And it was obvious as all hell. The other thing I wanted to talk about is, and I, and I got I to gotta throw this in, in, a, in a negative, Paige and Sasha Banks. I'll tell you guys why I'm throwing this match in there. We, we saw them wrestle last week for Beat the Clock. And we obviously know that Paige did not beat the clock. And Charlotte is challenging Nikki Bella for the Divas title at Night of Champions, if not sooner, which obviously later on in the broadcast, we'll find out that it will be next week. But nonetheless, the problem with this whole Divas revolution, and I said this last week, not last week, the week prior before we took the break, is the fact that by putting these Divas in these factions you're not giving them the opportunity to compete for what matters most, that being the Divas title. Now, obviously, and and you could see it a mile away, Paige is probably going to turn on Charlotte and Becky Lynch just because she keeps losing. They're starting to put that out there, and it's probably going to lead to her turning on them. Now, the problem with this is, instead of making it about factions, you should have made it about what mattered most, the women's title, period. Now, putting Sasha Banks in there with Naomi and Tamina, it's all right. I mean, Sasha Banks helps them by making them better as a a team. But in the grand scheme of things, they're going to learn more wrestling each other. 
Watching Tamina wrestle is is terrible. It is it is abysmal in every sense of the word. And then to boot Naomi, who had so much potential, you watch her wrestle now, and it's pretty much it, it's pretty much the same match week in and week out. It's hair pulling, hair pulling, rear view. Here it is, the finish. One, two, three. Let's move on. And that's what's happening. Everything that made these women unique is slowly being swept under the rug because we're seeing the same shit week in and week out. Now, Val says they don't want to bury Mrs. Cena. Here's here's the problem, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you. If you take the Bellas out of the division, let's say, let's say Nikki Bella decided to leave, Brie Bella got pregnant, and Alicia Fox was left. At the end of the day, even if you take the Bellas out of the division, it does not fix shitty writing. And that's the problem. Like, yeah, it's easy to blame the Bellas. It's easy to blame them because it is. I mean, don't get me wrong. Their wrestling leaves a lot to be desired. But it is a two-person op. One is the wrestler. The other is creative. And it doesn't mean shit that they can all wrestle if creative doesn't do something to make you give a shit. You know, that's that that's how it is. Once once you have the Bellas, see, the Bellas are a necessary evil because people either they cheer them because they want them to succeed or they boo them because they want to see them lose. But at the end of the day, if you take Nikki and Brie out of the equation, leave Alicia Fox, call up all the women from NXT, it's going to mean nothing because the writing is still shit. And that, my friends, is the problem. It's easy to, to obviously go with the broad stroke and, and you know, the broad stroke brush and, and paint it on, on, on the Bellas and blame them. Yes, they are to blame, but they're not the majority of the blame. You know, when, when they are, if, if, if we had to put it on a scale, I'd say that the Bellas' lack of wrestling is 25% of the problem creative and just booking the, the the divas division is the other 75 percent of the problem slick says when i hear you can look but you can't touch all i look forward to is to the whole match is nikki twirling <laughs> and then i tune out after that the problem is that listen the 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 titillation the eye candy they've got that on lock and that's always gonna work because the primary demographic for wrestling is still is still men and, and young guys. Even if even if ten and twelve year old kids watch wrestling, eventually puberty is going to sink in, and they're going to be like, "Wow, that chick has a fat ass." It's going to happen. So, if if people are talking about, "Oh, well, you know, the children, the children, the children," yeah, the children is only going to get as far as puberty is going to let that go. You know, you could go as family friendly as all hell, but eventually hormones will dictate who gets rooted for for what reason. I hate to say it, but it's the truth. Now, the match itself between Paige and Sasha Banks wasn't a bad match. Don't misunderstand. It was it was not a terrible match by any stretch of the imagination. But what ended up happening is that anybody's interest in that match went out the window, you know, when when people when people saw the same match that they saw last week. On top of the fact that the outcome was going to end up being the same because they're booking Paige as the quote-unquote 
weak link. You know, that's that's the thing that, that gets me. When people sit there and they're talking about, oh, the, the, the Divas Revolution is a failure. The Divas Revolution is a failure. It's not a failure. It's just the fact that they haven't found a way to maximize what they have. And they figure if they go out there and have matches every week, people are going to be excited just because they have matches every week. That's good. Don't get me wrong. Good wrestling is important. But if there's no narrative to set it up, if there's no story, if there's no investment, it doesn't matter. It, it, you, I'd get the same entertainment value watching two chicks fucking fight on a subway platform with a bunch of people yelling world star because that's what the fuck it is at this point. There's no story. There's no motivations. There's no there's no bigger there's no bigger plot. It's just, oh, we all hate the Bellas and we're going to try our hardest to whoop their ass. The only constant there is Nikki Bella breaking AJ's record. And the only reason that that's happening is because obviously you got to you got to throw the shovel on AJ a bit more. That's it. But in the grand scheme of things, nobody gives a shit. Do you think that a year from now people are going to be talking about Nikki Bella's fucking record? No one's going to care. There's only three records that matter in wrestling that most people know at the drop of a hat. Ric Flair's 16-time record, The Undertaker's streak, and The Undertaker's streak being broken. Those are the only measurements, the only statistics in wrestling that matter. When you say to somebody, who's the 16-time world champion in professional wrestling, most people know it's Ric Flair. When you say, who had the longest undefeated streak at WrestleMania? It's The Undertaker. Who who broke the streak? Brock Lesnar. Everybody knows that. It's like this. It's like this. Nobody gives a shit that Nikki Bella was the longest reigning Divas champion. Nobody cares about that. That's an ego boost. That's, that's That's fucking masturbation of the ego. Oh, I was the longest reigning Divas champion ever. But, but can you cook, though? But can you make this sandwich? Nobody cares. Nobody gives a shit. Do you think when she's home with John Cena, John Cena gives a shit? John, I was the longest reigning champion ever. Bitch, is my oatmeal ready? Is my oatmeal ready? You can't see this oatmeal. Is it ready? Because I don't see it. Like, I'm serious. I'm serious. Nobody cares about the record. The record is being done to bury AJ. That's it. Period. And the problem with wanting to do that is that you're inadvertently burying the entire division. Jimbo Slice says Paige is better off on her own. She's the piece of the puzzle that doesn't fit. She's the black sheep of the woman's division. I agree. Paige does not fit. You look at you look at Charlotte, you look at at, at uh, Becky Lynch, and then you look at Paige, and it's Wednesday Adams out there with the chipettes from the fucking chipmunks. That's what you got. It's Wednesday and, you know, the normal kids. Nobody cares. Nobody gives a shit. And that's the problem. In addition to that, yep, burying AJ with a lesser talent. 100%. You know what the worst part is? I can understand if you buried AJ's record, and it's true, with a lesser talent. But Nikki Bella and the Bella Twins, they're a brand. They're an entity all their own. They're part of the, you know, they're they're part of why Total Divas is, is successful. They're part of WWE's crossover machine. 
but in the end all in in the end all be all grand scheme of things they've added nothing to women's wrestling women's wrestling you could take the bellas out of the equation tomorrow like i said and no one would shed a fucking tear no one no one would and then you know what's funny people people say oh what about natalia what about natalia and even natalia herself was like yeah what about me because it's true it's like i understand tyson kid is on the shelf but why isn't natalia wrestling she doesn't need to be part of a faction either she could just be the lone wolf the veteran that's trying to go after the belt on her own there's a great story right there right there you know imagine that you know team pcb team bad and you know natalia just on her own and 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 trying to get the belt on her own going through each member of team pcb each member of team bad each member of team bella and winning the belt that's a story right there that's something that people can get behind people can care about because they'll see that you know she's not in a faction she's not she's not part of the machine she's on her own she comes from a heart dynasty there's a story there but it's easier to put natalia on total divas and make you want to punch her in the face because she's an annoying asshole on that show versus letting her go out there and do what she does best which is wrestle Jimbo Slice says they want her behind the scenes. She's getting put out to pasture. I agree. It's almost like she's being phased out on purpose, which is crazy because she's probably one of the better women's wrestlers on that roster. I don't care how much Nikki Bella improves every week. Her wrestling is still not great. Val says uh, until Nikki Bella gets dropped by Cena for Miss America. Donnie. Shout out to Donnie from Tumbling with Tumbleweed. Check him out on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, the big swerve. Bree turns on Nikki 30 seconds before she breaks the record. Yes. <laughs> and Lucha Lee adds, at least they're not giving her another farting gimmick. <laughs> I remember that when they were trying to do the farting gimmick with Natalia. God, was that bad. I said, yo, did they rehire Vince Russo? Because this is fucking terrible. Anyway. Switching gears, I, the other the other low point I want to talk about is their their disjointed booking. And when I say disjointed booking, you're probably saying to yourself, "What are you talking about?" Let me explain. So last week you had the Ascension come out with Stardust, and you created the Cosmic Wasteland stable. Okay, great. Gives the Ascension something to do. Give Stardust something to do. Great. This week, Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose fight the Ascension. They don't talk about the, the formation of the Cosmic Wasteland. And they pretty much buried the Ascension. Like this. Now, don't get me wrong. The Ascension aren't great. But if you went through the trouble of setting them up with Stardust last week, then why are you going to job them out this week? No, and it was and and it was a job out. There was nothing competitive about that match whatsoever. Nothing. Zero donut. Now, Seth Rollins, of course, was booked to compete twice on on Monday night. First, of course, was a, a match with Ryback, which I have to tell you, for people that say that that shit on Ryback, 
again, and this this is a shining example of what I said last week. You put Ryback in there with a good wrestler, you're going to get a good match. And Ryback and Seth Rollins, for as much as people wanted to dislike the match, it definitely worked. It was a good it was good storytelling, it was good wrestling, and it really allowed Ryback to shine. Not only that, but the 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 tease between him and Kevin Owens in the backstage segment was good as well because if anybody will benefit from working with Kevin Owens, it's Ryback. And it definitely showed in that match with Rollins. That's for damn sure. You know? It's it's one of those things where and I've said it before, it's important to see the bigger picture. Yeah, Ryback is a power wrestler. He has a very limited move set, but that limited move set works in an environment where the person he's working with is able to make it look good and effective. Ryback in a match with the Big Show is not going to look good. Like I said, the only high spot is him shell-shocking the Big Show, and we've seen that so many times that it's really lost its luster, period. The same can be said if you put him in a match with The Miz. It's it's just a big power game that's going to end exactly as you would expect. <laughs> Donnie says the Ascension got a big pop in NXT. They did, and I'll tell you why. The Ascension worked in NXT because it's a smaller venue, it's a smaller crowd, and a more intimate setting. So everything about the Ascension looked larger than life. But when you bring a team like that, it's like, and I said this when they got called up, you're taking small fish and putting them in a big pond. When you put them in a big pond, you're really not getting the maximum potential. There's nothing about them that that actually comes off redeeming. On the contrary, when you look at the Ascension on Raw, they're like the bootleg road warriors, like like Jimbo Slice just said. Bootleg road warriors, bum-ass demolition, they're everything that you don't want to see on television. Everything. And that's the problem. The problem isn't, isn't the fact that the Ascension aren't good wrestlers. It's just the fact that their gimmick was effective in a smaller setting. When you watch NXT and you guys say, you know, you guys watch NXT, and here's a good example. You see those guys on NXT, you look at Tyler Breeze, you look at Bull Dempsey. Bull Dempsey's a good example. So, Many of you guys know that NXT is doing their tag team tournament. And, you know, they got tag teams thrown together and, you know, the tournament is being done in in, in memory of, of the late Dusty Rhodes. Now, when you look at that, there are certain guys that you see on television that you go, that guy is a star. Let me give you an example. If I tell you Bull Dempsey on Raw on Monday night or on SmackDown on Thursday, you're going to go, absolutely not, that guy sucks. But... For some reason, he's over in NXT. Why? It's a different environment, different atmosphere. Let me give you another example. You look at Finn Balor. Finn Balor is a perfect example. He's got the look. He's got the wrestling. He's got the entrance. He is a guy that is essentially a main eventer, fine-tuning his craft in the minor leagues before coming up to the main roster. There are certain guys that you look at and you say, that guy's a star. That guy's a star. That guy sucks. I'll give you a good example. Bo Dallas. Oh, Bo Leave, Bo Leave. Dude comes up 
it, it wrestles in a fucking diaper, looking like baby Huey. He, his, he's not in any sort of shape, and it just doesn't work. That Bo Leave shit worked in NXT. Doesn't work on the main roster. Why? Because it's fucking stupid. And on a bigger scale, it's like... It's like being the best kid, it's being the best at Street Fighter in your neighborhood and beating everyone and then competing online or competing in an arcade. You're not the best anymore. When you look at a guy like Adrian Neville, Adrian Neville is a great example. Adrian Neville has the look, the moveset, everything about him works. Yeah, his mic work isn't good, but when you look at that guy and he walks through that curtain, you go, that guy's a fucking star. Period. Even even Baron Corbin, who I can't stand, fucking Krang. When when Krang Robot comes out there, his look, you know, the way that they dress him, the way that the lighting is done, they're trying to create a main eventer like this, like this. You look at Baron Corbin, and whether you like him or not, when he comes out, you go, "Yo, there's something about that guy that's fucking cool." That's how it is, you know. It, the thing is that people don't realize that with like the Ascension and some of these other guys, it works in NXT. When you come up to the main roster, it, it the gimmick doesn't translate. Like I'll give, I'll tell you one more. Bailey, if Bailey comes up to the main roster, she'll be over like this. You want to know why? Because she's she's a fan favorite. Kids love her. She gives people, you know, she gives children stuff. And little girls feel a con- uh, a, a connection. They feel a connection with her. And that's important. And that's something that you can't teach. It's just something that's naturally built in. You connect with an audience. So when Bailey comes up to the main roster, she will be, she's going to be the Daniel Bryan of the Divas division when she comes up to the main roster. Easily. Easily. Baron Corbin, you look at the guy, I mean, I clown the guy and I give the guy a lot of shit. But when you look at him, the guy has a presence like, yo, this big dude, cool tattoos, awesome entrance, badass music. It works. It works. You look at Samoa Joe, Samoa Joe. Yes, he's not he's not jacked or or he's not the the embodiment of what a wrestler should look like. But when that motherfucker comes out, you know, somebody's getting dropped on their dome. Here's another guy, Apollo Crews. Who, who recently debuted, formerly known as Uha Nation. You guys, when that guy walks out, even in his first match, when he walked out at the Barclays and everybody saw him, you knew that that guy had something. He had something special, something unique, something that worked. You know, and that's, that's, what, that's what's important. When people complain about people coming up to the main roster and getting lost in the shuffle, that's part of the problem. The problem is that if the gimmick isn't fine-tuned when they come up to the main roster, they're going to get lost in the shuffle. It happened to the Ascension. It happened to Bo Dallas. You know why it didn't happen to Adrian Neville? Because he had a cool entrance, he has a cool look, and his finisher and wrestling are out of this world. It doesn't even matter that he doesn't even talk that well. The fact is that he comes out there, he gets the job done, and when you look at him, you say, that guy's a superstar. Period. Adam Rose is a good example. Thank you. Don Anderson brought up Adam Rose. Adam Rose, when he was in NXT, wrestled as Leo Kruger. Leo Kruger was a beast. When they repackaged him as Adam Rose and did the the bullshit Russell Brand 
uh, gimmick. It worked in NXT because, again, small venue. But the minute it came up to the main roster, the crowd just was not into it. On the contrary, they were like, yo, fuck that. This gimmick is shit. And that's what's happening. That's what's happening. Here's last one. Sasha Banks. You look at Sasha Banks. You see that Sasha Banks is, you know, uh, an attractive, an attractive girl. But she really has no gimmick. She She's trying to play like a hood chick with the jewelry and the bling. She doesn't really have a gimmick, but her wrestling works. You know, her wrestling works. And that sets her apart from Naomi because Val, Val said just another black chick. And that's the easy thing to say, just another black chick. But what sets Sasha Banks apart from Naomi is the wrestling, the presentation. The problem with Naomi is that we were too busy watching her do the shucking and jiving and the booty bouncing with Cameron that when she transitioned into a wrestler, she became exactly what Val just said. Just another black chick. Same thing with Alicia Fox. I hate to say it. Both women can wrestle one better than the other. But at the end of the day, just another black chick. That's it. J-A-B-C. That's what it's going to be from now on. J-A-B-C, just another black chick. Tamina also, you look at Tamina and then you see the videos on NXT for Nia Jax. Tamina is going to become just another black chick. That's it. It sucks, but it's true. And I hate to say it because I like Naomi. I think Naomi's a talented wrestler, super athletic, but something is missing. I like Tamina. She has an incredible look. But again, something's missing. Maybe it's maybe it's that they were they were not in NXT when NXT was what it was now. You know, when NXT, let me rephrase that. They were in NXT before NXT got to the point it got now. Maybe that's it. Maybe they just didn't have the right trainers. Whatever the case may be, J-A-B-C, period. Anyway, so... I want to I want to talk about Sheamus and Randy Orton for the 85th time. <laughs> and nobody cared. Nobody gave a shit. Jimbo Slice says Tamina is Samoan you racist pig. <laughs> At the end of the day, JABC. Just because I'm Puerto Rican and you're Mexican, we're all beaners. <laughs> these these are the facts, ladies and germs. But but again, just just to, uh, I'm not saying it to disparage any of these wrestlers. They're all solid wrestlers, but they are lost in the shuffle. J A B C. Anyway, so we got the Dudley Boys and Los Matadors, and they've been talking about for the last couple of weeks that there was going to be a gimmick change for the Matadors, and I guess it pretty much consisted of them whooping El Torito's ass. As it closed out, uh, you know, as they closed, obviously they lost to the Dudleys and got the 3D, but I guess they're, they're, they're pretty much getting rid of the Torito gimmick. Maybe, maybe they'll go back to being Puerto Ricans from San Juan, who knows, wearing really, really terrible ring gear. It remains to be seen. We'll see what happens. I think the Matadors, I was never a fan of the gimmick, but kids loved it. It sold merchandise. People were into it. So it served its purpose, but I think that if you're trying to revitalize the division, 
you need to do something more. In a, in a division that now has the Dudleys, the primetime players, the New Day who are running on all cylinders, the Ascension, whether you love them or hate them, the fact is that when you're looking at it, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's something that needs to be done in a division that consists of badass dudes. Like, if anybody should be the fan favorites that kids love, it should be the Lucha Dragons. The Matadors, they, they really got lost in the shuffle when the Lucha Dragons got called up because the Lucha Dragons are the complete package. They got a gimmick that works. They got masks, which kids love. And above all, it, they, they, just, they just wrestle in a really, really crisp and enjoyable fashion. Again, not that the Matadors are shitty wrestlers. On the contrary, they are entertaining. But the problem is that... If you're trying to do something that's going to get the kids motivated, the Lucha Dragons are just the better team. You know, the Lucha chants, the masks, everything about them screams little kids want to cheer for these guys. Period. That's all it is. And the thing that gets me is that when they called up the Lucha Dragons, that was a good time to get the Matadors off television. Now, the rumor is that they're going to put El Torito with the Lucha Dragons. I hope that is not the case. I really hope that is not the case. Leave the Lucha Dragons exactly as they are. They don't need El Torito. They don't need fucking sombreros. They don't need ponchos. They don't need a cannon that shoots tacos into the crowd. Just let them come out there and do what they do best. And that's wrestle in the Lucha Libre style. Period. All right, so we got a match with Cesaro and The Miz, which sucked, moving along. Last but not least, we got our our main event, which was John Cena and the primetime players taking on The New Day and Seth Rollins, and a couple of things. First of all, the match was okay. It was a, it was a decent match, but this match was the the icing on the cake to put over The New Day, because that's what happened. The match consisted of The New Day just between Xavier Woods playing the trombone, Big E just gyrating like a fucking psycho, Kofi skipping, it, I, I, the best part was watching that match and trying to see John Cena and and Chaco Cena hold a straight face with the shit that the New Day was doing. If you watch that match, look for the highlights on YouTube, you'll see that there are moments when they are trying to keep a straight face. Because some of the shit that was going on was just ridiculous. Even Seth Rollins, you're watching him, you're like, yo, how is Seth Rollins not laughing? Because they're fucking insane. Insane. The thing that, that really got me about this match is that Seth Rollins obviously lost twice. But this match wasn't about even putting Seth Rollins over. On the contrary, this match was all about putting the New Day over. Like, people were complaining, like, oh, you know, Seth Rollins looked like a bitch out there. But the grand scheme of things wasn't the fact that they were going to put Seth Rollins over. It was the fact that it was an opportunity for the New Day to shine, to look better than they have been looking in the last couple of weeks. They've really taken the gimmick and ran with it and made it enjoyable. I'm not going to lie, and and you guys can listen to past episodes. I could not stomach that gimmick at all. But these guys, they just found a way to make it not only likable, but just so fucking stupid that you can't help but laugh when they're out there. Serious. 
You can't when, like I said, Biggie's gyrating and just being a fucking psycho. You there, you can't sweep that stuff under the rug because, again, in a game where it's all about the little things, the things that get the crowd invested, the New Day currently has that shit on lock. Period. Anyway, overall, Raw was a was a pretty paint by numbers affair. Like I said, a couple of high points. Uh, a fair amount of low points and no really no real big happenings came from this episode of raw again as we get closer to night of champions maybe things will, will step up but it wasn't really that great now i'm gonna jump into the wrestling news and um i'm gonna definitely want to get into the hogan thing and the superfly snooker thing but let me jump into the wrestling news first and then we will um handle the uh, snooker situation and the Hogan situation. Anyway, so first thing I want to talk about and Slick and I, well, Slick, myself, I believe Isaiah and a couple of other people had pretty, a pretty, I don't want to say a heated exchange because it's fucking social media, but we had a pretty passionate exchange about the situation with Stone Cold Steve Austin speaking about Stephen Amell's match at SummerSlam. Stone Cold Steve Austin said on his podcast that the match was embarrassing, but he said it was embarrassing not because of Stephen Amell's work, but because he thinks it exposed the business. He said, and I quote, I just don't like celebrities coming in there, the squared circle, and being able to compete at any level with the guys in the business. You've got to protect some integrity of this business. I don't care what day and age, what year it is. So was it embarrassing? You're damn right it was, but for the wrong reasons. And the reasons? Bad booking. Now, if you guys want to see the the full exchange, feel free to check out the RageWorks group, and you guys can see that. But I wanted to give you know just a, a little bit more detail about why I disagree with this. Stone Cold Steve Austin said that he does not like celebrities coming in the squared circle and being able to compete at any level with the guys in the business. And here's the thing. Going back as far back as I can remember, celebrities have been involved in wrestling in in, in both good capacities and bad capacities. And I say this because Mr. T versus Roddy Piper boxing match. Carl Malone in the, versus the NWO with Dennis Rodman. David Arquette, love him or hate him. Mr. T versus Hulk Hogan. Uh, again, Zeus from No Holds Barred and the Macho King, Randy Savage. You know, there's, I mean, uh, there's so many different things that it was Mr. T versus Roddy Piper, not Mr. T versus Hulk Hogan. Val, you fucked up. But... You look at that and you think about all these different moments. And yes, there are some shitty ones. David Arquette, Carl Malone, Jay Leno, uh, Snooki, um, Floyd Mayweather and the Big Show. And the list goes on and on. But there were good moments as well. Now, oh, oh Trump getting his fucking, when Vince got his head shaved with Bobby Lashley. Holy shit, thanks for that, Slick. Another one. Trump didn't wrestle, but he was involved. And the thing that gets me 
Lawrence Taylor when he headlined WrestleMania against Bam Bam. Thank you, Lucha Lee. And this is what I'm saying. So I, we've given so many examples, a lot of examples. And the fact is that they've all had their, you know, they've all had the same thing. Mike Tyson with DX, another good example. Here's the thing. Wrestling is entertainment. It's acting with legitimate stunts. It has its place. Now, for him to say he doesn't like the celebrities competing with the guys in the business, okay, I'll give you that. Yes, did Stephen Amell come out there and he looked pretty good in his match? Yeah, he looked all right. You know, he did a couple of decent spots. But for him to say that that reason right there is the reason that wrestling is not protected, that it's exposing the business, let me tell you what exposes the business. Social media exposes the business. Reddit exposes the business. Tough Enough exposes the business. Documentaries expose the business. When we were growing up watching wrestling in the 80s and the 90s, these wrestlers lived their gimmicks. I remember when Sergeant Slaughter became an Iraqi sympathizer. Somebody put an explosive in his fucking house. I remember that because there was an article about it and he even talked about it in an interview. When Sergeant Slaughter became an Iraqi sympathizer, they put a bomb in his house. They, they threatened to blow up the guy's fucking house. And the guy was playing a character. Wrestling is acting. Yes. Does the business get exposed? Sure. But at the end of the day, the business doesn't just get exposed because of one actor or actress wrestling to get mainstream exposure. There's worse shit out there. Was the booking terrible? Sure. Was Wade Barrett necessary in that match? No. If anybody should have been in that match, it should have been The Miz. But since Ryback healed up from the staph infection, they went with Wade Barrett. And you know what the thing is? Putting Wade Barrett in that match, in my opinion, was the bigger problem because The Miz worked. His fake Hollywood gimmick worked. I would have rathered Wade Barrett compete against Ryback and The Big Show and have The Miz in that match with Stardust than the, uh, than the opposite. That's my issue. You know, there's there's always something to be said about entertainment. And yes, everybody wants to protect their own. The same way MMA fighters get mad when wrestlers come into the business, the fact is they bring a new demographic. They bring in a new set of eyes. When, when MMA fighters transition to pro wrestling, they bring a new set of eyes, a new demographic. At the end of the day, it's all about getting more eyes in front of your product whether they're casual viewers that watch for five minutes or casual viewers that watch religiously from that day on. That is the turning point. That's what happens. It takes moments like that to make people fans. That's what happens. I remember I ended up watching wrestling when I was a kid because I was thumbing through the television and I ended up watching Lucha Libre on Channel 47. When I was a kid, this was before I even started watching WWF television. That was my exposure. And I, and I thought that the larger than life personas, the characters, it was, it was different. It was like real life superheroes. And from that point on, I was a lifetime wrestling fan. You know, I watched Saturday night's main event. I used to get the VHS tapes. I was part of a tape trading club 
trading VHS tapes of stuff that we would tape. The Monday Night Raws, the Shotgun Saturday Nights, the the episodes of NWA, um, old WCWs before the Monday Night Wars, which everybody seems to forget about. You know, all that stuff. And again, it all happened because I ended up watching wrestling on a Spanish channel on a whim. You know, the fact the fact remains that for Stone Cold to talk about the business being exposed, then you could just as easily say that Tough Enough exposes the business. You could say that. You could say that when they did the documentary Beyond the Mat, that exposed the business. You could say that the movie The Wrestler exposed the business. I just felt that Stone Cold was very short-sighted in his opinion. Now, he's he's citing bad booking. I can understand that. But I politely disagree that that match exposed the business. You know, it, it, Vince McMahon transitioning from being an announcer to all of a sudden being a, uh, the owner of the WWF at the time, that didn't expose the business. That just added a realm of realism that made people connect on another level. When Vince McMahon, when Vince McMahon became Mr. McMahon in front of your eyes and started feuding with Stone Cold Steve Austin, it changed the landscape of wrestling. When people were coming out, you know, doing Austin 316, when people were were doing glass breaking, middle fingers, all that shit, that was because that was the mainstreaming of a business. But again, I can understand wrestlers feeling slighted that they were losing a spot, but I'll be honest. You know, the the three minutes that that match was, what were you going to do, put Zack Ryder in a match to get squashed for the 85th time? Like, that's the thing, too. Everybody's protective of their stuff. Wrestlers are going to protect their business. MMA fighters are going to protect their business. Boxers are going to protect theirs. I understand. But... For people to just look at it from a short-sighted point of view, you have to look at both sides. And as a as a as a longtime fan, I understand the necessity for entertainment to be utilized effectively. I understand. But I also understand wrestlers wanting to protect their shit. Again, I look at both sides, but I just didn't like that Stone Cold looked at it in, ch- in such a short-sighted way. As somebody who's been on both sides of the spectrum, both as a professional wrestler and as an entertainer, because let's not forget, you did The Condemned and all those shitty movies with Steven Seagal and Nash Bridges, and the list goes on and on and on. Wrestling paved the way for you to go into entertainment. So, you know, it's a little bit of pot calling the kettle black here. It's different for a guy like Roddy Piper. He did They Live. He did a couple of things. But, you know entertainment paved the way for some of those other guys. I was watching Roadhouse uh, last week, and Terry Funk was in there. He played, like, one of the henchmen. I was like, oh, shit, it's Terry Funk. And it took me a minute to, to realize that it was him, but nobody cared about wrestling back then the way it is now. When a wrestler transitions from pro wrestler to actor, it's it's another ball game. But the only way that that's going to happen is if you open the doors towards entertainment because it makes those it makes it makes the transition easier and it creates opportunities for wrestlers where they're not looked at as just these glorified stuntmen you look at hulk hogan he did no holds barred he did rocky 
He did Suburban Commando. He did uh, the one where he was the nanny. He did all the. He did Thunder in Paradise. And at the end of the day, that oh, that was because of their relationship with the entertainment industry. It's a give and take. It's not an exposure. It's a give and take of the business. We wouldn't be getting these wonderful WWE films classics if it wasn't for WWE cultivating a relationship with Hollywood. Period. One hand washes the other and both wash the face. It is a necessary evil. Period. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, let's move on because we're moving into the uh, the two-hour show bracket. Uh, Seth Rollins has a lot to be proud of as he was ranked number one in Pro Wrestling Illustrated's PWI 500. That is a very, very big honor. Uh, in particular, because he was one of the he's one of the few guys that made it to that top, the top of that list in in a very very short amount of time. So the PWI 500, for those of you that don't know, is comprised of win loss records, championships, quality of competition, major feuds, the prominence of the promotion, and overall wrestling ability. The the period of evaluation is. June 1st, 2014 to June 30th, 2015. The print edition of PWI comes out September 29th, but you can pick up the digital edition online. But again, it is a very, very big, big accomplishment for Seth Rollins to be number one in the PWI 500. So they actually put out the uh, the top 20, and I want to share the list with you guys because Seth Rollins was number one, but I'm going to go in reverse order and share some of the other guys that made the list. In the number 20 slot was King Barrett. Number 19 was Minoru Suzuki. 18 was Bobby Lashley. 19 was Jay, uh, excuse me, uh, 18 was Bobby Lashley. 17 was Jay Lethal. 16 was Prince Puma, a.k.a. Ricochet. 15 was Neville. 14, Daniel Bryan. 13 was Dean Ambrose. 12 was Dolph Ziggler. Hiroshi Tanahashi came in at number 11. Kevin Owens was number 10. Number 9 was Alberto El Patron. Uh, Rusev came in at number 8. Jay Briscoe came in at number 7. Randy Orton ranked number 6 in the PWI 500. Shinsuke Nakamura came in at number 5. Roman Reigns was ranked number 4. AJ Styles took the number 3 slot. John Cena was number 2. And of course, number 1 the architect himself, Seth Rollins. Like I said, the PWI 500 is a very, very distinguished list. And, um, you know, for, for you to be on that list, it's a big honor for Rollins to make it to the top of that list. So quickly is an incredible accomplishment. And don't get me wrong. I I've had my issues about creative and, and how Seth Rollins has been booked. But when it comes to the wrestling, the wrestling and the entertainment value that Seth Rollins brings to the product He's in a league of his own. Lucha Lee says next year we're going to see the Rigel twins on the list, Logan and Sterling Rigel. I hope so. And um, I'm sure I'm sure we'll be learning more about the Rigel twins in the future. That's for damn sure. Um, Val says, so how the hell did Cena get so high? And Slick says, because Cena fucking works hard. Let You know what it is? I agree with Slick. And like I said, the, the PWI 500 is based on win-loss records. Championships won quality of competition. 
And that right there, my friends, is why John Cena is number two. Because he worked matches with uh with great um with with just great opponents from from top to bottom. Every guy that Cena worked with throughout twenty fourteen through twenty fifteen was tremendous. Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, Cesaro, the uh the Cena Open Challenge, the Neville, uh, Sami Zayn, the list goes on. Val says, I'm not discounting his work ethic, however he hates putting people over. Yeah, but you know what it is? John Cena has probably put more people over than Triple H. Uh, I can say that. John Cena has put more people over than Triple H. And here's another thing. If you look at that top 20 list, you know who's absent? Brock Lesnar. (laughs) Brock Lesnar is not on that list. Just just let that um let that sink in, guys. Brock Lesnar is not in that list. But anyway, if you guys want to get the full list, uh head over and get the digital edition. It's three dollars and fifty cents. Uh the print edition comes out September 29th. I'm actually gonna pick up the print edition and uh maybe I will discuss it in detail on the September 30th edition of my take radio only because I want to talk about the remaining 500 wrestlers that are on that list. And the reason is because, you know, Brock Lesnar, I'm sure, is on that list, but definitely not cracking the fucking top 20. That's for damn sure. So just just so you guys know, Brock Lesnar is on the list. He's definitely not top 20. <laughs> you know, it's it's it, it, that, that that's the those are the facts, ladies and gents. Brock Lesnar is there. He's just not in the top 20. Anyway, a couple of things to wrap things up before we talk about the Hogan and the um, Jimmy Jimmy Superfly Snooker situation. For those of you that are fans of NXT, they will be releasing an NXT DVD or Blu-ray set. Uh, It's going to be called The Best of NXT, and it's slated for release in March. Uh, The DVD set will be uh, comprised of three discs, uh, the Blu-ray, of course, will have two discs, and it will spotlight all the great matches and all the talent from NXT d- throughout the last year. Uh, definitely looking forward to that. And, you know, as as uh, an aside, and I'm curious, now that those of us, now let me rephrase, those of us that have the network now, does anybody even buy wrestling DVDs or Blu-rays anymore? Anybody in the chat care to care to share their opinion on that i'm curious i mean i haven't bought i i bought the paul Heyman blu-ray and i bought you know i bought the cm punk one because obviously we'll never see that again but i haven't really bought a lot of them because now with the network you just you know they're they're gonna end up eventually giving that but there's certain ones that i did pick up because i knew that you would never see them again like the cm punk one you know you're never gonna see that one again Number one, number two, they may never give it on the network. Who knows? It depends. Maybe a few years from now, they'll they'll feel inclined to give it, but they're not giving it anytime soon. I know a lot of people picked up the Ultimate Warrior box set and the Macho Man box set for obvious reasons, but I was just curious to see if anybody was out there buying it. Lucha Lee says, nope. Donnie says, never did. Uh, oh, Lucha Lee says, I bought a Rey Mysterio DVD early this year, so I take that back. All right. 
I'm I'm just curious because I like I said the network gives you so much programming at this point. Is there even a point in buying them? But like I said, the the Paul Heyman one I bought because that one you could hardly find, and um, you know I could you know and I picked up the um like I said the CM Punk one for that reason. I was just curious if anybody else was. Ah, Donnie bought the Monday Night Wars. <laughs> nice, very cool. And Slick Slick says no. Just curious. WWE announced the signing of Kana recently. Uh, for those of you that don't remember, Kana was at the front row at the NXT TakeOver event in Brooklyn during the Bailey and Sasha Banks match. Now, Kana, uh, also known as Kanako Yurai, was officially signed to NXT. She's supposed to be reporting to NXT to Orlando in September. Uh, Kana's been wrestling for 11 years, uh, an incredible competitor, uh, great submission style, really embodies the Puro style of wrestling. You definitely need to check out her matches on YouTube. She is no joke. When she comes to NXT, we're going we're, we're gonna to see how, how quickly the NXT competition steps up because she is in a whole other, she's in a whole other league when it comes to wrestling. So if you haven't seen her wrestle, look up Kana on YouTube. And you'll see what the de- <laughs> no Donnie not Satakana no. <laughs> well played Donnie, well played. Props to Don Anderson from Tumblr with Tumbleweed for that. But um, yeah, definitely look up Kana on YouTube. You'll see what the deal is. Uh, Slick, if you're able to find a highlight video for Kana, can you throw that in the chat room? I would really appreciate it. Uh, the other two things I wanted to. Address is Kurt Angle's announcement that he will not be re-signing with TNA. This obviously opens up a lot of interesting questions. Number one, Kurt Angle not re-signing with TNA. Is that the end of the line for TNA? Or is that just the fact that Kurt Angle is trying to get himself ready to wrap up his career in the WWE? Uh, He recently did an interview where he's going to be back for Bound for Glory, but he will not be renewing his contract with TNA impact wrestling. Now, as I've said before, Kurt angle is a first ballot hall of famer. Uh, he's got a lot of demons, obviously that he's been dealing with, you know, some substance abuse charges, some alcoholism charges. Obviously he's been clean for a while now. He hasn't had any run-ins with the law, but one of the reasons that Kurt angle left WWE was because he had a substance abuse problem and he did not want to get the help that he needed uh, as of right now, it appears that he's he seems to have got the help that he needed and he got counseling and rehab, etc. And he seems to be fine, but I'll be honest when I say WWE is not the same without Kurt Angle being part of the roster. Kurt Angle is, like I said, first ballot Hall of Famer, an incredible wrestler, tremendous storyteller, excellent on the microphone. That guy is... You know, a great he he would make an amazing trainer for NXT. He would make an amazing color commentator. Uh, Kurt Angle in the WWE needs to happen because, like I said, the guy the guy was a big part of some really amazing moments during the Attitude Era. You know, shooting everybody with the milk truck, his matches with Stone Cold Steve Austin, his matches with The Rock, his legendary matches with Chris Benoit, which are out of this fucking world. There, there were there were so many great moments. Um, Jimbo Slice said it best. Kurt Angle defines pro wrestler, and that is one hundred percent true. 
It's real. It's damn real. Like I said, I, I hope he's going to take some time off. He's going to be doing some movies and, um, you know, he's going to be working on that stuff. But I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in 2016, we don't hear Kurt Angle's trademark music and him come back to WWE. Because like I said, first ballot Hall of Famer, that's for damn sure. Plus, I think Kurt Angle still has enough in the tank to give us at least one match with Daniel Bryan. Maybe a uh, a neck collar on a pole match because that match will probably be the one and done for both of those guys. And I definitely would give anything to see it. Kurt Angle and Daniel Bryan needs to fucking happen. I'd love to see that. All right, so that's going to wrap up the wrestling news for this week. So two things I want to talk about. Uh, first, Jimmy Superfly Snuka, on the latest uh, WWE Hall of Famer wiped from the Hall of Fame. For those of you that don't know, uh, Jimmy Superfly Snuka has always been rumored to have been involved in the murder of his girlfriend. There's always been kind of an unspoken dialogue about it, and people have discussed it. And the thing is that after a lengthy investigation, it appears that he was involved in her death. He has since been arrested. Obviously, he's going to stay in trial. And because of that, his you know he was scrubbed from the WWE Hall of Fame. And the thing that gets me with this is that, you know, obviously murder is a big fucking deal. And um, aside from that, people are saying that Jimmy Snuka currently is dealing with stomach cancer and also dementia. And the crazy thing about this is that if he stands trial and is found guilty, it Jimmy Superfly Snuka will probably die in there. He will probably die in jail, which is crazy. And... Here's the here's the thing that I'm saying that I wanted to kind of touch on. Growing up as an 80s wrestling fan, it's crazy that so many wrestlers that I grew up watching either are battling demons, are, you know, involved in negative press, or worst of all, are dead. And obviously, wrestling is a hard business. There's substance abuse, there's steroids, there's drugs, there's alcohol, there's all kinds of shit. But it's always crazy to see new stories of wrestlers dying or wrestlers being involved in terrible situations because what happens is, much like game, like video games, and I've talked about this before, mainstream press immediately jumps on the dark side of the wrestling business. And wrestling does have a dark side. Don't get me wrong, it does. But so does every other sport. The only problem is that the dark sides of professional wrestling sometimes occur in plain view. When when I heard that Snooker was arrested and, and obviously is going to be tried for this murder, it tripped me out because like I said, for years there's always been there's always been that that kind of did he, didn't he? Kind of like OJ, but not not obviously not to that that level of mainstream. But when he appeared on Opie and Anthony a, a couple of years ago, and I think they actually reshared the video they kind of asked him about it and he was like the responses he gave were definitely a little suspect. Like I said, he's dealing, you know, with dementia and stomach cancer. So who knows? I mean, if the, if the guy knows he's going to die, he may, he may confess who knows, but it's just, it's just crazy. It is just crazy. Um, you know, to read that, because like I said, we were, we were just coming off the passing of Roddy Piper and the passing of dusty Rhodes. And it's just, you watch that shit 
And when you see it, you say to yourself, damn, there's just so many people. Like when I see interviews with Sonny, if you guys remember Sonny from the Body Donnas and LOD 2000 and later on ECW, when I was a kid growing up, Sonny was like the gold standard of women's wrestling. Like everybody's like, oh my gosh, she's so hot, whatever, whatever. And then you see her now and you just see the the toll that the business has taken on her. And it's really sad just to see it, you know? I mean, don't get me wrong. The passing of Chris Candido definitely put put her over the edge. But you see some of that stuff and you're just like, holy shit, you know? And even Edge and Christian during their WWE, uh, during the Stone Cold podcast, they kind of alluded to a lot of things. And um, it's just crazy that you grow up watching some of these guys. And, again, some of them benefit from the business and they go on to to live long lives and do, you know, a lot of crazy stuff. But it was like not too long ago, I saw a picture of Bobby, the brain Heenan, who many of you may know, you know, was had mouth cancer and all this stuff. And it's just, it's just a, it, it, it's terrible to say, but it's just a scary, scary sight. When you see a guy like Bobby Heenan, who I remember being put in a weasel suit by the ultimate warrior, or I remember just him, you know, saying some really, really crazy stuff. And when you see that, you just you say to yourself, wow, man, you know, it's just it's just crazy watching stuff like that unfold. Jimbo Slice mentions Miss Elizabeth. Miss Elizabeth is another just heartbreaking story because Miss Elizabeth, another, you know, classy, you know, just uh, the, the, the first lady of professional wrestling. And to hear, you know, that she died from a drug overdose in Lex Luger's house. It just it just painted a different picture. You're like, oh my god, what the fuck, man? And that's 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 what happens. You know, you see stuff like that, and it's just so crazy, so over the top. And that's that's just the wrestling business. But I wanted to kind of share my thoughts on Superfly, just because it's so crazy that you know that all came to fruition in in a matter of days. It went from oh Jimmy Superfly Snooker is going to get arrested to holy shit Jimmy Superfly Snooker is being arrested. For the alleged murder of his girlfriend and obviously we're going to be watching this we're going to see how it how it pans out but it was really really just a, a crazy crazy story that i wanted to dig into a little bit now the other thing i wanted to talk about was hulk hogan so hulk hogan the week before we went we we went on on holiday break he went on good morning america on his, on what I like to call the Hogan Apology Tour. And the thing that got me about it was the fact that when he was apologizing, he said something very, very interesting. And I want to share it with you guys because when I heard it, it made me really, really angry. And the reason it did that is because, and and before I play the clip, I'm going to say this. If you're a, if you're a racist or if you say something terrible, don't make up some contrived bullshit apology. Just own up to the shit. I'm being serious. Just own the fuck up to it. Don't make this long-winded sad bullshit apology. Just be like, "Yep, I called that guy a nigger." And I was upset, I was angry, it was a poor word to use, it sucked, and I'm sorry. People would be like, all right, man, you know what happens? Fuck it, you know? Because it was weird. 
when I when I mentioned it in passing, a lot of guys in the chat were like, you know, I've I've gotten past the Hogan thing, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, I I I, I it's it's not a big deal. And here's the thing. The Hogan thing bothers me, but the guy also did say that fucking years ago. Not to say that his views may or may not have changed, because he may still be a racist piece of shit. But what bothered me was the way the apology was handled. Because he, like, fucking cried and shit. Just, just really fucking, just a big old bitch about it. I'm trying to find the, uh... The clip, so you guys can hear this, because it was uh, it was just ridiculous. Uh, let me see. I want to find a good clip just so you guys can hear this. Um, apology. Good morning, America. I'm going to play this one from Complex, and you guys can can check this out. Let me see. What's up, guys? For Complex News, I'm Emily Oberg. Shortly, racist rant apology. Fast forward a little bit. Except this time, they'll listen. I'm not a racist. I never should have said what I said. It was wrong. I'm embarrassed by it. He went on to blame his surroundings and upbringing for his racist comments. But a lot of people need to realize that you inherit things from your environment. And where I grew up was South Tampa, and it was a really rough neighborhood, very low income. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Jimbo Slice sent me a better video, just because I don't want to fast forward through it all. Thank you, sir. Check this out. (laughs) Can we stop for a second? Yeah, sure. So here he is crying like a big old bitch. Hulk Hogan transformed wrestling into a worldwide phenomenon. Let me he fast forward through that. You don't throw a good fame. Just because a person makes a mistake, just don't throw them away. You don't throw good people away. But in this Good Morning America interview, point of my life to the point where I want to kill myself. You were suicidal. Yes, I was. Terry Bollea does nothing. And all my friends, we greeted each other. That, that's same. it. Here we go. And all my friends, rough neighborhood, Tampa. And it was, and where I grew up was South Tampa. And it was a really rough neighborhood, very low income. And all my friends, we greeted each other saying that word. He begs for forgiveness from his fans. Oh my gosh, please. So I, I'm not going to jump around with the video too much. So here's, here's what I got to say. And I'm... I'm going to give you, and we'll use this to close out the show. First of all, for those of you offended by the quote-unquote N-word, stop it. Uh, but here, here's, here's the facts. For Hulk Hogan, who's 60-something years old, to use his environment as a scapegoat for calling the black guy that, that, that his daughter was dating a nigger is such a bullshit pussy thing to do. Oh, it was a rough neighborhood in Tampa. Get the fuck out of here. Let me, let me tell you something. Growing up in New York city in 1980, being someone that grew up in a, in a Puerto Rican household. And obviously I've, I've shared 
my my history. Um, here's the thing. We've all heard racial shit. Grandparents, great-grandparents, fuck it, even parents. We've all heard it. If you're Puerto Rican, you've heard the word negro. You've heard the word chinos. You've heard the word cocolo. You've heard all those terms if you grew up in a Puerto Rican household. If you grew up in an African-American household, you've heard honky, cracker, um, you know, whatever, whatever derogatory term for white people. If you grew up in a predominantly white home, you've heard spick, spook, coon, nigger. You've heard them all. And just because you heard them doesn't necessarily fucking mean that you have to use them. It fucking doesn't. It does not. The fact that he used his environment. Oh, I grew up in this environment. And, you know, people greeted each other like that all the time. Really? Slick. Slick. Did, have I ever called your house? Have I ever called you on a cell phone? And you answer the phone. And I go, what's up, nigger? How's it going? Have I ever done that? Have we greeted each other like that? Val, have you and I ever greeted each other? Sup, spick? Sup, spook? Have we ever greeted each other like that? Jimbo Slice, you and I have been friends for 12, 15 years. Have I ever ran up on you and said, what's up, Kraut? What's up, Hitler supporter? You know? What's up? Holocaust supporter? Have I ever done? No. Have I ever walked up to you and said, what's up, Beaner? What's up, Taco Slinger? Have I ever? No. And I don't, and we grew up in this shit. The fact that he used that and then, (laughs) it's just terrible. Listen, you were wrong. You got caught out there and you were upset. You know, man up. Listen, we all joke. Patrice O'Neill joked about this enough times. He goes, "You want you want to you want to scare your parents? Bring home a black guy if you're not black." Patrice O'Neill said that, and it's funny. It's funny because that's exactly it. You know, you want to scare your parents? Bring home a black guy. It didn't matter that the guy came from a good family. It didn't matter that the guy had money. Hulk Hogan just saw, (laughs) that's what he saw. He saw that his daughter was being deep dick by a black guy and he was upset about it because he wasn't the black, uh, the type of black guy that he wanted. You know, he's going to farm out his daughter anyway, but he wanted an an upstanding black guy. I would like an upstanding Negro to plow my daughter. That's pretty much it. Hello. I would like an upstanding Negro to plow my daughter. Come on, dude. Stop it. Own up, man up, and accept shit for what it is. You said some racist shit. You got caught out there. And because of it, you pretty much took your tor- your career and you torpedoed it into the toilet. You know? You, tor- you torpedoed. Your career. Wow, that picture of, of of his daughter is scary. 
listen, these are the facts, guys. We live in a in a, in an era where racism is out there. Don't turn a blind eye to it, but don't sit there and play it off like you've never said anything racist. You've never done anything racist. We all have. You know, if you're if you're white and you drive through a black neighborhood, it could be the nicest black neighborhood ever, and you lock your doors, you're thinking some racist ass shit. Period. Happens. How it is. If you automatically get cut off by a Chinese person and you go, you can't drive, you fucking Asians. You're saying some racist shit. How it is. But again, just because you say it doesn't necessarily mean that you all you believe the shit. But the fact remains that in, in the Hulk Hogan is 60 something years old. And the fact that he's saying in Tampa in a rough neighborhood that people talk to each other like that is bullshit. Bullshit. Jimbo Slice, who I'm friends with, lived in Florida. Lived in Florida. He is a Florida, he was a Florida resident. Hell, he's older than me. He could fucking call and tell you that no one spoke to each other like that. Rough neighborhood or not. No one did. Bullshit. The problem was that you had a problem with your daughter being piped by a black guy that wasn't a guy that had the amount of money that you thought was normal. He's over here talking about that they spoke to each other like that. He's 60 something years old. You know what 60 year old people back then were saying to each other about black people? They were calling them niggers. (laughs) Period. That's what was happening. That's what was being said. Get the fuck out of here. And that's what disturbs me. What disturbs me is the fact that he blames his environment. Oh, my environment. I grew up in a rough neighborhood. Really? Really? I started growing up in the Bronx. I saw my first drive-by when I was a kid. Growing up in 1595 East 174th Street. I moved to 1435 Harrod Avenue. So a guy gets shot outside. That's all normal shit. I lived in Queensbridge in Long Island City during the 90s when shit was real bad over there. Dudes were being shot on the regular. You heard all that negative shit on the regular. And it happened. It was you, you, you were a part of it. You were a part of it. Anybody that grew up in Rochdale or here in New in Jamaica or in South Jamaica, or in East New York, or in Brooklyn, in uh, Marcy, in any of those areas. Yes, shit like that was said. But whenever something racially motivated was said, it was said because it was being said in a racist fucking tone. Period. 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 I'm serious. I'm sorry to say it. I see Jimbo slices calling in. Jimbo slice. Welcome to the Welcome to the program. This is actually comical and, and, and the timing is perfection right now, because as I'm listening to you talk about this and about me living down there in Florida, while I was training tonight at one of my gyms, I ran into an older gentleman 
who I've known for a very long time, who's actually close to 60 years old, who was born and raised in New York, but got moved down to where? Tampa, Florida, when he was a kid like me. Right. And spent quite some time there, down there and actually told me a story of the hard time he was having down there with the white Southerners and how he'll never forget that when um, Martin Luther King was assassinated, they were going around in Tampa with rebel flags cheering. There you go. So what does that tell you? And again, he when he was when he said, "Oh, you know, we greeted each other like that." Nobody greets each other like that. I mean, I'm gonna say that if you're a '90s hip hop baby and grew up in that time frame, there's a good chance that you did yes. greet each other that way and yes. talk like that even till this day. Yes, on a certain level, correct. But his his age group, no in that time frame, <laughs> definitely not. Dude, that age group, that's why I said when that age group used that word, it wasn't in a greeting or friendly fucking matter. No, they were, they, the ending of that word was ER, not GA. There you go. And they sure as hell weren't giving each other pounds. Nope. You know, the only the only pound... I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I, I can't pitch a Hogan listen to Mob Deep or Wu-Tang Clan in the 90s, you know what I'm saying? Listen, the only pounding that Hulk Hogan is, is concerned about is who's pounding his daughter and where he can pound a wooden cross and set it on fire. Get the fuck out of here. Or Bubba, or Bubba the Love Sponge's wife. Or Bubba the Love Sponge's wife. This dude's over here talking about, oh, you know, the environment. It was a rough neighborhood. Shut up. Shut up, you fucking blubbering I mean, pussy. Tampa is Tampa, definitely, definitely a rough area. I know firsthand. But his age group wasn't speaking like that at all. As a matter of fact, I don't even think anybody in New York was speaking like that at that age, at nope. that time frame, you know? Hell no. Like I said... We all that was, grew. That was, that, that was more tail end of the eighties, early nineties, mid nineties type of lingo. That that's ex- that's exactly it. And on top of that, like like I said, we all grew up. We all got old school family members. And, and and come on, they all they all say some suspect shit. Anybody that says otherwise is full of shit. But the fact is, they're all the key word old, <laughs> and that's how the shit was back then. That's how it was. Period. And for him to make that excuse... You know, you know what I'm picturing and laughing at at the same time? What's that? Whoever wrote that bullshit for him, whoever wrote that bullshit for him, how him and whoever was probably sitting at some fucking office table or wherever, and they're talking about, yeah, 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 this is good, this is good, we're going to go with this. Yep. Like, are you fucking kidding me? All right, brother, this is the part where I cry, brother. I'm going to shed like three tears, brother, and then I'm going to cry, brother. Oh, brother. That's what's happening. That was that was that speech. All right, Hulk, this is the part where you said that you heard that word often. So I'm going to say that I grew up in a rough neighborhood, brother, and we'd greet each other, brother. And can I say the N word on TV? No, motherfucker, no. <laughs> you know, like that's that's how that I went. actually in high in high school, when I lived down there, I actually witnessed one night playing ball at the local park. There was a white dude who was from New York, used that word, not in the way Hogan nope. used it, like the typical typical New York slang at the time, Yep, mid to early 90s. 
And no joke about maybe seven, eight black kids from Brooksville, Florida. I'll never forget it. I sat there and watched those kids literally split that dude's skull open. There you they go. pummeled that kid, man. I thought they damn near killed him. And, and, and like I said, and, and people, people in the, in the chat room and people on social media, they've, they've quote unquote forgiven Hogan. And here's the thing. I never had an issue with Hogan because I separated Terry Bollea from Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan, say your prayers, take your vitamins, 24 inch pythons, slamming Andre the Giant. Again, an icon of my childhood. Terry Bollea, apologizing piece of shit, who should just man up and said, yo, I said it. It was fucked up. I was upset. If you, if you, if you want to even go that route, you could just be like, yo, I was upset for, for my own reasons. And it just came out the way it came out. I fucked up and I'm sorry. It would have been easier to stomach that way. You know what? I have this, uh, this belief, whatever it is or whoever it is that you hate deep down inside, they're going to end up in your life in some way, shape or form. hundred percent. hundred percent. And that's the thing that, 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 that irks me about this. You know, everybody's like, yeah, you know, he said all this stuff. And blah, blah, blah. But the fact is, it's like, dude, you know, unless you're tracing your family roots all the way back to, to, to your ancestors and you can prove without a shadow of a doubt that you don't have a single black of uh, a single drop of non-white blood in you, you're just as mixed up as the rest of us. Pretty much. You know what I'm saying? So and that's the that that's the irksome shit. Like Val says, hey, I didn't care that much. I care just because. I cared more about the apology. I didn't give a fuck that he said it. He said it eight years ago after he blew a load on Bubba the Love Sponge's wife. Fuck it. You say some dumb shit after that, and that's most people. But the fact is that he's running around on the apology tour being a big old bitch instead of just, hey, I said what I said. It sucks. I was mad, and I'm sorry. People would probably just accept it and move on. But he's going around. Pretty much. It's like, oh. I'd be crying that your hairline looks like an equator. The fuck? Terrible. Terrible. Well, like I said, the last time I called in, it ain't, it ain't about not anybody's job to forgive him or whatever. He's got to live with himself. Yep. And at the end of the day, I really just truly believe that all the all his energy that he put out into this universe is coming right back at him. You know, it's karma, man. No, I hear a lot of stories about him through the grapevines of what a scumbag he is and this and that and the other, and whether that's true or not, I wasn't there with certain situations. But every time you turn around, bro, this guy is having an atomic bomb dropped in his life. But it's his own doing. Yep. Like, it's funny because Val brought up when he was running around doing the media tour, apologizing for his son paralyzing his best friend and turning him into a vegetable. And it's true. I remember that. Oh, you know... My son, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yo, your son put a dude in a fucking wheelchair. That guy's going to be drinking Cheerios through a straw for the rest of his life. Motherfucker, we don't need 1,800 apologies. Your kid is a fuck-up, and that's it. (laughs) Speaking of his son, I remember one of the uh, first sneaker cons that I did. His son showed up, and it was just a little bit after the time he got out of jail. At a prison, his son, show, his son showed up with a buddy of his, and he came over to my table, and I had a couple of pair of DJ AMs, and uh, he was actually trying to chisel the price down on me, and he was like, do you know who I am? And I was like, 
no, actually, I don't. I knew who he was, but in my head, I was like, I'm going to lower the price for you. I'm like, you're fucking rich. There you go. I mean, when they played the jailhouse oh. tape, when he went to see his son, he was like, yeah, you know, maybe what happened to your friend, you know, maybe that's just life getting in the way or some shit. I'm like, yo, you are a fucking dirtbag. And you know what it was? Like, I looked past that just because I'm like, whatever, he's fucking just his true colors are showing. But now it's like what you were saying before. Now, now your true colors are showing for real. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. He's just he just pissed off that shit. Made it to yep. You know, public air, and at the end of the day, he's losing a whole shit little money through the WWE Corporation. Period. Oh yeah, that's a wrap for that dude. And like we were saying, you know, off air, I'm sure they'll probably slide him back in there at some point, but he'll never, ever, ever be on TV mm-hmm. ever again. Maybe I don't know. I don't know if they're gonna slide him back in there. I don't know. It, well, you know what it is. I don't know. Give, given, given, given the climate and what and the kind of shit that's going on, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It seems as time goes on, the WWE Corporation just really, really, really emphasizes on being "quote unquote" politically correct and just trying to do the right thing in the public eye and keeping a certain image very prevalent in the public in, 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 in the public interest. You know what I'm saying? Like they they try to keep a picture perfect uh vision of that of that company and anything that disrupts that they seem to uh put a cap on it real fast. Oh yeah, automat well you know what it is, you got a publicly traded company, you got a demographic that you know is is primarily kids and at that point, you know, you just you just sitting there like or every time somebody fucks up, you just look at your bottom line dwindling, and you just, you just feel terrible. You're like, oh my god, oh my god, because when the story broke that Hogan did what he did, they showed that the stock price went down. All that shit was a factor. Really? Yeah, dude, it was. It, when when I broke the story, when he said what he said, and Forbes even wrote a piece about it, and I shared it on air. It was, you know, they lost money. They're like, yo, this fucking guy's costing us money. You gotta go. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what this—that's what this uh, country is built on: is profit margins. That's right. You know what I'm saying? And uh, money talks bullshit runs the marathon. Damn right about that. So, uh, with that, I uh, I appreciate the assist. I'm glad you were able to give us some uh, Florida street wisdom from when on what went on down there because I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. All right, anytime, brother. All right, man. Peace. Make sure to catch our very own Jimbo Slice on Instagram, Jimbo, J-I-M-B-O underscore Slice, S-L-Y-C-E, the number 13. Uh, So with that nugget of wisdom and that rant from yours truly, it is time to wrap things up. But before I do, I got to put this disclaimer out because I don't want some tight wad panty waist emailing me all offended about the use of the N-word. The N-word in its context that it was used today was used for the sake of example and conversation only. There was no racism or hate speech implied in this monologue or any of the stuff that was discussed on this episode of My Take Radio. If you got any questions or you're upset about it, drop me a line, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com or rich at rageworks.net. Otherwise, grow a pair, get some thick skin, and make sure to tune in next week. So with that, I've given you my take on professional wrestling and mixed martial arts. As always, I'd love to hear yours. Hit us up on social media 
at my take radio at rage underscore works on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash official rage works. And as always, if you want to catch archived episodes of the show, you can find video versions on our two YouTube channels, my take radio TV and official rage works. Audio versions will be available on iTunes, Stitcher and tune in radio within 24 to 48 hours of broadcast. Again, Keep note, 24 to 48 hours. Don't message me tomorrow asking me where the show is. A couple of you guys have done that, just putting it out there. In any case, join us later on today for our gaming and entertainment edition of MTR. As always, if you want to be a guest and want to be on a future episode, feel free to use the email I mentioned earlier, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com or rich at rageworks.net. All right, guys, I am out of here. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for your input and participation as always. And I will see you guys for our gaming and entertainment episode later on today at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Peace, guys. I'm out of here. Come rich, bitch. That's all, folks.